Okay. Let's do the thing. Welcome, uh, yellow, yellow. Hi, welcome Jamie. back. What's Unless this on? is your first time, then welcome, welcome. <laughs> we welcome you to the Happy and Holy podcast. Happy and Holy. Mm-hmm. Guys, we're so glad that you're here. Glad that you're back. We're glad, we're glad that you found us. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you may be listening, but I feel like we should tell you that we are listed on all podcast platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts. I did you it. did it. You said it right. <laughs> so proud of you. Apple Podcasts, not Apple Music. Um, we're listed on Google, Spotify, mm-hmm. um, all major podcast platforms. We are listed there. So wherever major podcasts are, we're there too. Um, That's for if you want to listen to us on the go. You know, if you want to take us on a walk with you, take Mm -hmm. us grocery shopping. I like to listen to some of my favorite podcasts, grocery shopping. Take us to the gym. take Take us to the gym. I love listening to podcasts at the gym. Yeah, I receive it by faith. Whatever the work you put in at the gym. I receive that by faith. So you work out and I will reap the, the burn. Mm-hmm. Um, take Give you the, the double portion of the squats. Well, we receive. And so that's if you want to listen to us on the go. If you want to be stationary or, you know, sometimes you like to watch stuff while you're cooking or like me, I like to have YouTube going in the background while I work. We are listening on YouTube. Now, obviously for our YouTube fam, Hello, YouTube fam. This is obvious to you guys, but in case our podcasters want to come to the visual side, yellow. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things are a lot more funny on this end, but we love to have you either way. And yes. so we experience uh, us with your ears or experience us with your ears and eyes. It's all good, although two is better than one. <laughs> we love it. And um, if you are on YouTube, Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Most importantly, comment. Let us know that you are here. Let us know that you are listening. We love to um, engage with our online audience. And so it's so fun when we get to read your comments and reply. We had such great conversations last week about the sound of freedom and other things from the episode. And so if you have not checked out our last episode, I encourage you to go and check it out. Jamie, tell them yeah. about the website. You guys should definitely go to happyandholyco.com. Not only did I spend an extensive chat with someone in Eastern Europe to get yeah. this directed to the right location, but also you can find us everywhere and be kept up to date with the latest news from us. That is also where you will hear about merch dropping, which I am currently working on. So 
Get ready to have that soon and stay up to date and stay uh, aware of what is going on. Be the first to know by going to happy and holy first to know. She did. Ooh, ooh. She did it. <laughs> she did it. Ooh, ooh. See, this is more comedic on the visual side. Oh, oh, what? Oh. what? What? Pointing. Just like that. <laughs> Which one will get there first? <laughs> I believe, yeah. It, it'll be, it's just like if I do this. If, I should have just did it with this side and it would have made more sense. But Wait. Oh. We oh. Did it. Now we're touching. Wow. Um, welcome to the Happy and Holy Podcast. We are here to remind you of the good news of the good news and to remind you of your righteousness if you're wondering what the good news is is that you have been saved mm-hmm. by grace through, through faith. faith through it through the tunnel of faith and our salvation is solely in um the pouring out the sacrifice of our precious lamb of our savior our lord jesus christ our salvation is in him and in him alone who laid his life down on the cross for you and me our (laughs) sovereign god went to the cross in happy hope and joyful expectation that we would receive the reward of his sacrifice which is our salvation bringing us back into fellowship with the father so that we can be happy and holy Mm-hmm. Why is it that we are happy? Because happiness is us living in truth. Ooh. And when we know and believe truth, we have every reason to be happy. Yes, every reason. Ooh. If you're not That's happy, so- you're not yeah. living in truth. You're not living in truth. And as we like to say here in the show, if you're not feeling happy, you're going to need to humble yourself and get happy mm-hmm. because the revelation of knowing, asking yourself, backpedal, take a couple steps back and ask yourself this question. Are you happy that you're saved? You know, I think a lot of people are happy when and they initially get saved. But can you keep it? Can you keep the happy? Can you keep the truth? Keep it? <laughs> We're here to help you keep the happy mm-hmm. in your salvation. And remind you that you're holy mm-hmm. in your salvation. So Romans 10 tells you that you confess the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord, that he came he died, he was buried, and that he rose again and said, you will be saved. And the byproduct of your salvation is joy. And so, the Happy and Holy Podcast, here we are with your host, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Lenny. And so, Happy and Holy is a phrase, it is a phrase, famously coined by uh, the Bulgarian bulldog himself Georgian Banov <laughs> one half of the joy apostles 
mm-hmm. Georgian and Winnie Coco Banoff, co-founders of Global Celebration. Now, all of this kind of has like a running thread through it where you're like, mm, there's a lot of happiness and holiness and celebration. And you mentioned this Georgian guy a lot. You talk about this Coco woman. What's going on? We're just here to remind you that we are not brand ambassadors. We are not subcontractors. We are not representatives of the ministry, Global Celebration. No. No, we are just, we're not even affiliates, okay? Not at all. We do not get royalties, okay? They've not paid us to do this. No. But we are byproducts of their joy. Mm -hmm. We are the seedlings of people who have been reminded to be happy that they are saved and so of course that does not mean that we get to lord over your faith but tell them bring it up pull it up we get to be helpers of your joy helpers of your joy that sounds sacrilegious I was about to grab the Jubilee if you needed me to. Oh, please. Come on. Rip it up. Where did she no. go? she in the Bible stack? Oh, she's in the Bible stack. Was she like in the mid? <laughs> she was somewhere over here. <laughs> Where is it located? <laughs> I'm blanking. Oh, it's uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's 2 Corinthians 1, 24. The way I always get, um, if it's in the first or the sequel. I I know. It happens to me. That's why I have to think. Every about single it. time, I'm like, if it's if there's a sequel to, to a book, I'm gonna be confused for a while about which which version it's in. <laughs> All right, this is the Jubilee translation. For those of you who have not seen this podcast before, this is my baby. This Bible is an English translation of the Reina Valera, which is the King James of Spain. It is similar to William Tyndale's work, and all of the words in this are. are always translated the same. So if there's a word in your concordance and it's translated differently in different verses, this don't do that. It's the same verse. It's the same word every time. This don't do that. So we just love the Jubilee. First, uh, second Corinthians. There I go with my sequel. (laughs) The sequel confusion again. (laughs) Second Corinthians 124. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy for by faith ye stand. That ye gets me every time. Ye. Um, For those of y'all who don't know um, what ye is, um, ye is always plural. So that's like if I put this in Southern, which I have no right to do, but I live in the South, so I'm going to appropriate the culture. Go for it. This would be the Southern version of this. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy for by faith y'all stand. Y'all I knew it was coming. Y'all stand. Y'all stand. Y'all stand up now. Y'all stand. Which leads us to our joy verse with Jamie. As helpers of your joy, we would like to remind you just how often is joy in the Bible. We're going OT on this one. You know, there's a problem if the Jewish people can be more joyful than Christians. If the Jewish people could be more joyful than Christians, something's wrong with your theology and the way you're seeing things. So we we pull up from Nehemiah yeah. today. But I will say the culture of joy is in the Jewish, like, it's it's in it. I mean, the way that they party, well, I'm sorry, they call it feasts. 
But the way that they feast and have celebrations, joy is in their DNA. Mm-hmm. We should be feasting more, having that joy. Come on. All right, here we go. This is in Nehemiah twelve forty three. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. And what had happened right before this? Why did they rejoice? Because they found the book of the law. They found the the Torah. They found the scripture. And they were like, oh, yeah, let's party. How many of you last time you found your Bible, remembered you have access to a Bible, remembered you could drive on down to Barnes and Noble and get yourself as many Bibles as you wanted, have been like, oh, yeah, let's feast. Mm -hmm. This is the appropriate response to scripture on that day. And great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. Great joy. And then I I love how they was talking about how they rejoice because God had given them great joy. So they were rejoicing, which means they were having joy again. They were having joy again because Mm -hmm. of this great joy. Don't Um, limit on the joy. Don't cap the joy. Oh, yeah. And I don't need anybody telling telling us that this this is not a, a time to be joyful. This isn't a time to celebrate. Mm-hmm. I flush that right where it belongs. Um, the I recently was thinking about First um, Corinthians. See, I have, now I have to think about it. But where the love scriptures are at. Um, and I was thinking about like, you know, when you're like at a good charismatic, um, service, uh, or a good charismatic church, (laughs) or, you know, the word is going good when people are like, come on, or they're clapping and then they're all the other things, right. Mm -hmm. You know, how they respond. I, I like to snap. Um, I snap because my claps are really loud. Okay. I have musician hands. I can't help it. And so I, I snap instead of clap, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, that's good. And, um, you know, we have a lot of isms for when we are in agreement to the word that's being released, the word that's being preached. I was like, why do we do that? And the Lord reminded me of 1 Corinthians 13, 6. It says that love does not um, take any delight in evil Mm. but it rejoices in the truth and i'm like that's why we do that that's why people shout when they hear a good word go to a good black church and they're getting ready to throw their shoe because they're so like this word is good we love makes you rejoice in the truth the truth that is a heavy revy thank you for sharing that how blessed am i to be your best friend it's an honor the honor is mine in case anyone gets twisted i jay am wendy's best friend (laughs) don't get it twisted best friends best friends and we rejoice in that truth but if you're ever wondering you know some people are probably annoyed when they go to a church and they're just like could you keep it down you can't help it because love makes you rejoice in the truth. And so shout a little amens. Give a little come come on. If you have to stand, do it. I go to a church where people run. It's okay. I don't judge it because they're rejoicing in the truth. I am waiting for the day where I'd see a cartwheel. Um, I have not seen it yet, but um, 
I'm looking for that frolic, that frolic type of joy in the church. It'll happen. Amen. Amen. What's that? You know, we didn't do our quote yet. No, no, no. I know. I just, I get lost. I get lost in the joy. I just. Lost in the sauce again. (laughs) I just get lost. Well, happy and holy. (laughs) A phrase coined by the Bulgarian bulldog himself, Georgian Banoff. As we stated earlier, the phrase goes like so. The world wants you happy, but not holy. Religion wants you holy, but not happy. But Jesus came came to make you you both. 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 And that is the good news. And... It will never not be good news. <laughs> stays good. It stays good. No expiration date. <laughs> that stinking, I think, what is it, Geico? That stupid Geico commercial has been stuck in my Expired! Expired! <laughs> <laughs> we have ants in our house. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. <laughs> so I, I, I keep quoting that commercial because it's just embedded in my head. But. Needless to say, Jesus came to make you both happy and holy. And don't you forget it. Even if some fresh out of cemetery graduate student, seminary, sorry, seminary. What a Freudian slip. If a student from seminary, fresh out, hair slicked back, Textbook still not even cracked. Comes out to you. A brand new Bible engraved with his three names and tries to tell you (laughs) that God cares more about your holiness and your happiness. Run. Not the three names. The three names. Oh, yeah. It's always the first three names. It's always the first three names. Listen, you need to run because that that type of belief, that thought does not lead you to freedom. Truth of the gospel is that Jesus came to make you both happy and holy. And may I also add healthy, which we'll get to later. As we transition into our next segment. All right, we're going to do some Did You Hears. Tell me something. Tell me why. It ain't nothing but a heartache. Oh, it's three, three, three. Oh, pull up my charismatic textbook and find out what three. No, I'm kidding. I got my Barbie breath of dream dictionary down here. If you want, hey, as you should, 
As you should. She's in the special well, box. Because yeah. she's special. We and love Barb's. We love Barbie. We do. We love her a lot. Uh, well, Jamie, did you hear? Tell me. Chris Hansen's back on TV. Really? Yep. I did not hear this. Yeah, I know. I saved it. I waited to tell you fresh out of the oven. These are you some waited to tell me and now I'm shocked. Yeah, he's back on television. Well, you know how I am with surprises? As, <laughs> as, as television as television gets. He's back on a streaming platform. But we've got some new content from Chris Hansen. Okay. The show is called Takedown with Chris okay. Hansen. What's going on here? Oh, I love it. It's all this modern, the modern take on the same Chris Hansen, same perpetrators, same pedophiles, same dirt bags, new show. And so he's what going, network is it on? It's true blue. So like it's like it's a cop, like a where can I watch this? <laughs> yeah, you could stream it on on True Blue. True Blue is like a you know all crime t- type of stuff. The type of stuff my sister would watch. Um, crime television, and yeah, Chris Hansen. Uh, Chris Hansen's been doing this for two decades, so his investigations have led to hundreds of would be. Now we don't know if they've been in the past, but right now he's catching them in the middle of the act. So he's catching hundreds of would-be sex criminals being stopped in their tracks. I mean, he's setting them up. And so um, his stuff, I don't know if this led to it. I don't think you can ever stop, truly stop Chris Hansen. But uh, what happened is that his old show had started resurfacing on TikTok and millions upon millions of views. And so even after, listen, okay, because I'm about to get fired up. Even after the amount of arrests that this man has done and hundreds of millions of views from his old shows, men are still trying to meet children online. And because men are still doing it, Chris Hansen is, <laughs> is still going after them. And so I just don't understand why they can't get the hint. I don't know why they think that they could just never be caught like they always think that they're going to be the one that doesn't get caught. Oh, it can never happen to me. Chris Hansen's back, baby. Why are they risking it all for this? Get help. What? I'm thrilled, though, that audiences want to see this type of content because it means that audiences still consider pedophiles the bad guy. Yes. Take that Ligabatakwa community. Literally. Still the bad guy. And listen, there is an underlining thing that's going on with the Libertaqua community and these men who are trying to meet up with children because I think, and this isn't, this has not been verified by the show, but I think that some of these men who are trying to meet with young boys, I think they're closet gay. I think they're closet bisexual, whatever it is. I think they're in the closet and they meet up with these children on the side and try to delve in their, um, little indulges and so which again why years ago i love that this narrative has been like reoccurring but i said this to 
a friend years ago when she was trying to tell me that her son was contemplating being gay. He can't help who he loves. And I was like, well, yes, you can help who you love because when a 56 year old man decides to go after your daughter, who at the time I think was like two years younger than her son. So he, she was like 16 and you know, 16 and being cute, cute. She was 16 and let's be real. Girls now are developing way differently than how we were developing when we were growing up. And so she's 16 in a little cute, cute crop top and a little short and a little pair of shorts. And a 56 year old man turns around and says, Hey, I love her. <laughs> I have no idea who she is. I don't know, but I love her and you, who you love is who you love. And so love is love. And so now I love your underage daughter. And so you can help who you love as we have seen on this show. Um, they will have to help who they love because there is nothing more that um, criminals in jail who are already in jail serving their term, there is nothing more that they hate than pedophiles. So once they get to jail, it's over. It's over for the clowns. It's over. Yeah. (sighs) They will be literally scared straight. People are acting like self-control is not an option. It is. And there's help. Like you like said, there's also help. There is help. It's like you, you can, you can control yourself. If you can control yourself to like force yourself to go to the gym, you can control yourself to force yourself to eat healthy. You can control yourself sexually as well. It's the same skill applied in a different area. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. They're choosing not to, but it's the help that they should get. And so I am not here to see them get help. I'm here to see them get taken (laughs) down. And so I wish Chris Hansen does with such joy, delight, satire, sarcasm, subtlety, bluntness. Like he just has it all. He has the best comebacks. He's very witty. He's very sharp. He's, He's been a journalist for years before all of this. So he's just really quick, very witty. And I love, I love it. And I love him. Um, to catch a predator was the show. Like we were all watching that. I mean, that because of that show, I was never allowed to go out. And so I, um, you know, maybe retrospectively, you would be like, oh, maybe you should hate Chris Hansen. But I actually love him. I love that these people are being caught. But however, he did make it really hard for me to have a social life when I was a teenager. Um. But To Catch a Predator slapped. Like, that show was incredible. And as you know, I think you were the one who also told me that the show stopped because um, the uh, the assistant attorney general that had gotten caught, um, he got caught in the act and, um, you know, of To Catch a Predator. And he offed himself because he was just humiliated. And so instead of just saying, like, Instead of just owning owning it and being like, I messed up, just... Even the show. Like, I didn't think that the right decision was to pull the show just because somebody off themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think, unfortunately, um, like, even if he hadn't gotten caught on a show, it would have gotten out, and he was in a public position. If you're in a public position, you get caught doing something kind of crazy... Um, kind of disgusting, kind of like fully 
looked down upon by all society. It's going to come out. If he had been caught any other way, he still would have done the same thing. He would have done the same thing. Because it still would have come out. Like, whether Chris caught him or whether the police caught him, whether the FBI caught him, doesn't matter who catches him. It's going to come out, and he would have dealt with the same struggle, and he would have offed himself. And he would have offed himself. So, you know. I don't think no love lost. And so I'm grateful Chris Hansen's back. I have started watching a couple episodes. A couple episodes have been on YouTube for Frizzle. It's really freezies, like free 99. Um, I don't know if they continue to do that. I don't know if it's legally on YouTube for free, but there are some episodes of Takedown with Chris Hansen um, on YouTube right now. So listeners, if you guys want to go check it out. There's your there's your plug. But he's back on TV, baby. And I'm addicted to watching these guys. Because let me tell you, I mean, I'll I'll say this before we move on. But some of them are like, when they get caught, they're like, well, what was your intention for talking with a 14-year-old? And like you, some of them come with condoms, but then they're like, oh, we were just going to hang out. Just knowing your mind, some of these men are driving long distances to meet up with these decoys because they're make-believe 14-year-old girls and boys, okay? So you're driving a long distance. Your conscience is that seared, like you don't, you're not feeling anything. And so a lot of them I've noticed in this, um, in this take of the show have been like, I'm, I came to talk her out of being online. She shouldn't be talking to grown men. And like, I just came here as a friend. I'm like, bull crock. For 14 hours of driving, just st- like making it the whole. Okay. Men don't try. Men never try. Okay. W- nobody is going to believe that a man does that because he actually wants to do something that is going to be good for someone else and has no benefit to him. Men don't do that. <laughs> um, I've seen some Christian men do that, but like even Christian men still don't do that a lot of times. Men only do things if it benefits them and if it's going to be whatever benefit, whether it's like a work benefit, a sexual benefit, whatever. Men don't just do selfless things like drive like hours and hours to give someone a pep talk. They will barely give you like a pep talk in a text form. They will barely. not even they're the most mid textures. They're giving you nothing. There's no way that anybody's believing that you're going to do anything that goes out of your way for anyone else selflessly. <laughs> I'm so sorry. With your little snacks in your hand. And, you know, the thing is, is that he has their conversations. That's the thing that gets me because it's like, oh, I just came to talk to her. And Chris is like, like I'm not going to repeat anything because... It's very explicit, but the things that they say they're going to do to her because like the decoy is sex talking them. Right. So then they're responding and engaging. And, you know, Chris waits until they catch them saying, I want to do those things. It's not anything suggestive. It's not anything in thought. It's like them saying, I want to do these things to you. Mm -hmm. And um, so they get caught. And, you know, once the crew comes out and Chris comes out, um, it's always like, oh, I wanted to talk her out of it and tell her that she shouldn't do this. Like she's better than that. And it's like, meanwhile, you have condoms in your pocket and snacks in your hand and alcohol in your car. But sure, you were just going to talk her out of it. And so it's 
It's crazy. But I will say the quality of men. Now, I'm not saying this is all men because there are good men. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But the quality of men that have been stooping down to this level have severely deteriorated because some of them are like when they get caught, they like fake a heart attack. Like it was a family doctor, a family doctor faked a heart attack. And he was like, oh, I just don't feel good. Huh? It's like he was like clenching his chest. Dude, it gets bad. Two of them tried to run away. Um one of the guys literally was talking to the decoy and was like, I'm trying not to spoil all the episodes to you guys, but it's just so good. One of the guys tries to, like, he literally said, I feel like I'm being set up on one of those shows. <laughs> and you deserve it. <laughs> you deserve it. So. Like gets the guy's name wrong. I think he said like Chris Harley or something. He's like, "What's the guy's name?" You know. And then the decoy's like, "No, I don't know what you're talking about." And he's like, "Yeah, you know, Chris something." And she's like, "No, I don't recall." <laughs> crazy. Oh my so god. So for, for the comedic fact that the righteous get to rejoice when when evil has been um when evil has been has paid the price. Like we get to rejoice because we're just like you guys are clowns, clowns, and um, you know, just I don't think that like I don't know if viewer discretion is advised, but I'm saying that it's worth like if I had a younger sister that was maybe a teen, if I had a daughter, think I, I don't have any children yet, um, but if I had a daughter who was maybe a teenager or maybe even preteen, okay, because some of them have stooped as low as like maybe 12. Like I know some of them are even grosser than that and younger, but they specifically do teenagers. I would watch the show with them because like you need to know, like you do not have friends on the internet. No, you do not. Maybe mommy and daddy does, but you do not have friends on the internet. It, maybe if you play your little Xbox games, that's fine. But on the internet and in chat, you do not have friends. I don't care who you're talking to. I don't care how many pictures they sent you. And it's like a little boy at Chuck E. Cheese. I do not care. You do not have friends on the internet. And so, which leads me to my next. Did you hear? Tell me. Jamie. Yeah. Do you know how much the Sound of Freedom has made? I'm going to guess 12.1 million. You're so close. As of two days ago, um, The Sound of Freedom has made $14.2 million in box office. In the box office. And so, um, yeah, we just believed so much in this movie. That's why we had to do the promo last episode and go back and listen to last episode. But I actually saw a video where somebody was trying to, this girl actually physically attacked the... Um, parents of this family that brought their children to go see sound of freedom what yeah because she was upset that they were bringing kids to see the movie and she's like this movie is about sexual exploitation you should not have your kids here and they were like first of all you don't get determined determine that and that's also why my kids are here because it's about the exploitation of children and they need to be aware and so again the whole thing with Chris Hansen and me just loving everything about takedown. It's obviously correlating to um, the stuff that Tim Ballard has been um, fighting with our rescue and the idea of just rescuing children um, who have been trafficked, kidnapped, 
exploited. Um, and so I'm grateful that the movie's doing so well. I people should go see it again and again. I think it's going to end up doing so well that Angel Studios is going to be like, all right, fine, let's just stream it too. Now, Elon Musk even suggested because you know how Matt Walsh had what is a woman. I think it still is on Twitter, but Matt Walsh had what on Pride Weekend, the first month of Pride Weekend. Matt Walsh released what is a woman on Twitter, the entirety of his documentary for free. You just click on it and you watch it. And Elon said that he would back Angel Studios up if they wanted to do that on his platform. Wow. We, you know, I was just saying this the other day that Elon to me is like Batman. He may not be a good guy. Oh, he's a vigilante. He may not always make the right decisions. Oh, yeah. But he is sometimes he he is sometimes a hero. He's a wild card, but he has hero potential. Um, even when you don't feel like he will always make the best decision. Yeah, he, I mean, what it took a Batman. it took a global pandemic for superheroes to actually come out. <laughs> he's a little Batman ish slash Iron Man because he is a madman when it comes to technology. It's great. Oh, yeah, I also cannot wait for him to fight the world's most ultimate villain, which is Mark Zuckerberg. And I he was about to say, challenge them to. A uh, a little bit of a cage match. He's like, now nah, I really want to punch you out. Um, I because- literally said the other day um, when I was talking about, I'm literally like, <laughs> my friend walks into the room and I'm like, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking that that Elon is like Batman, and then I went on to say that Mark Zuckerberg is the villain who always seems like he's the good guy, and he's got like the perfect like facade of being a good guy and he's got the the public persona but he's actually truly sinister villain and mm-hmm. i was like it, the the head to head is is the seemingly perfect zuckerberg who's actually the villain and the like hero sometimes anti-hero that elon is cuz he's batman um in dc comics we would call mark zuckerberg lex luthor and um, because except for we don't have a Superman yet. I mean, I know that there has been discoveries of aliens. If Superman wants to come out at any point, we're here for it. Um, but right now we have our modern day Batman and that is Elon. And so um, we're just waiting. But it took a global pandemic. It took the elites to 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 gather. And then our superheroes are finally coming forth. And uh, the Justice League will soon be formed. I do want to touch on before we um, move on about Sound of Freedom and how those parents brought their kids to see the film. If you've seen the film, you know that the reason why the main characters got scammed, and this this is a real scam that Tim Ballard took down, um, was that Miss Columbia was used by child traffickers. Um, she was very clearly in on it um, and was not a uh, unwilling participant. Mm-hmm. She was using um, pamphlets and the lore of fame to bring in kids and to say, I'm going to make you a child actor, child star, whatever. And so this was a real thing that happened. And then of course is shown in the, in the film with the main characters that Tim is rescuing. And when you see these kids get bamboozled, it's not their parents that um, were like looking for this. It's the, the woman approached the kids first, the kids got scammed and then they were 
basically used to emotionally manipulate their dad into trying to get them to be famous. Um, through this, this scam, again, directed at towards kids. So if kids see this and they're like, hey, there are people out here who say they want to make me famous and actually just want to sell me into sex slavery, kids should know about that. Right. Kids should be aware that not every adult has their best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And so it's an excellent point to bring up is just that the the it came through a child into the family. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not mad about it. As I said, like I would want like even my niece, my niece is 17, like, but she lives, she lives in another state. I don't want to say her state, but she lives in another state. And, um, but if she was here, I would be like, no, we're going to go see this movie. And so, you know, instead, um, I think some people chose to go see Indiana Jones to which, why you should have asked for a refund. But, um, I love seeing that sound of freedom what a mockery to Disney, you know, that sound of freedom would make so much money and, and beat out Indiana Jones, considering that the way Disney is now is obviously not the Disney we grew up with, not the Disney that our parents grew up with or whatever. And so the Disney that we know now is obsolete. And so like, it's a shell of a company at this point. And so I'm so grateful that sound of freedom had did so well. And um, we had, these psychos who are being exploited like enough with the exploiting children now we're going to exploit these psychos and sickos and maniacs who are being out of control mm-hmm. but brought to justice speaking of out of control jamie yeah do you hear about ryan foley i know of ryan foley what did he do now <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing super recent other than he's been on this uh, crusade of um, visiting local churches. Now, I'm confused. I think you might know more than me, but I'm confused as to even where he's based out of because some of the churches that he's hit up has been in Dallas. And um, I'm in Dallas, but I have not seen this man. And yet um, I've also seen him in Galveston. So does he actually take a a ride out there? Is that worth that for him? I could see that. I could see him doing the crusade, you know. I, I could also see him him crusading to Dallas because there's so many churches he could hit in a short amount of time. I know. I guarantee he won't come into this one because he won't find nothing at my church. If anything, I don't even think I don't even think he wants to he want to mess with them prayer warriors. You you met my Nigerian spiritual mother. Could you imagine Ryan Foley trying to talk to her? Oh. N- Absolutely not. She would just lay hands and he would go down and then I would trap him with my flags like a butterfly trap. (sighs) Have you ever seen someone make a butterfly trap out of flags? You will. Well, this guy is, um, you know, the thing about Ryan is that I think he has the purest intent. I really think he has the purest intent. But as I've said with a lot of like young ministers, a lot of young ministries, a lot of people who lack discipleship, um, but have a lot of gusto, as you say, 
I will always be reminded, especially being in Dallas and in the midst of being around a lot of people who come here wanting to be like, I'm going to start a house church or like, I'm called to be a worship leader. Like everyone and their mother is like, not a Lord. He wants me to be a Levite. And um, that's such like a buzzword. And anyway, so a lot of these people come here, they do some crazy things. And I just get reminded time and time again that people will do crazy things <laughs> with zeal. And their zeal will cause them to do a lot of crazy things. I don't think that Ryan has any ill intention when he goes around. I think he truly thinks that these guys are um, meant to be rebuked. I think he thinks, you know, the Bible that he's reading is telling that telling him that these people are wrong. I know he went to, you know, local church and he was like shouting out, you know, you guys are hypnotizing everyone here and blah, blah, blah. And then a couple of days later, he's like, actually, I fasted and the Lord rebuked me. And I'm so I'm just kind of like, wait, pause. So you you do have a relationship with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying because some people who are going to listen to this are going to be like, oh, he's right. He's wrong. I'm not saying when he went to that church, he was wrong. And I'm not saying when he went to that church, he was right. I'm just saying that when he went, he went back and spent time with the Lord. And then in that time with the Lord, the Lord is like, you shouldn't have did that. And that shows me relationship. Honestly, it's more than a lot of pastors do to actually fast and allow the Lord to rebuke them. And to publicly apologize. Like that was actually very impressive to see the humility in that. I was like, there is hope for you yet, sir. There's hope for him. I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad at all. And he just people do strange things with their zeal. And he um, yeah, I mean, because I know he's been to Joel Osteen's church. And again, I'm not saying he's right or wrong for calling out the church, but he's like, yo, I, I don't think that what you're preaching is the gospel and they need to hear the gospel. He's going into, you know, stores and he sees the statue of Mary and he's like, Catholics are, you know, are believing in witchcraft or whatever. Not here to tell you who's right or wrong. I'm just telling you that the Bible that he's reading is telling him. People shouldn't be praying to statues and idols and rosary and all our stuff. So then he goes in and people do strange things with their zeal. And, and so, you know, I, I, he's not um, like, it's not uncommon. The, the things that he's saying and believing about these churches, a lot of people have shared these sentiments just with less flair and there and less is, followers and less followers. And there are pastors that I have seen call out, people like Stephen Furtick on Facebook and, um, and they'll get messy in um, their posts towards religious leaders. And the only like difference here I would say is that he's, he's particularly a bit messier in his approach. Oh yeah. Um, and has a lot of people that do follow him for whether it's entertainment or for truth. Um, you know, both are, somewhat valid reasons both are going to get content whether you're there for one or the other some people are calling it it's good like it's like going to be like a what was it a Saul to Paul moment I'm not necessarily seeing that because his moment happened when he um when the Lord transformed his life like he can tell you which again is it's better than a lot it's better than most Christians 
but he can tell you the moment he met Jesus and how his life transformed. Yeah. And so before Jesus, he was on OnlyFans. He was like into gay porn. He was, you know, he was into that stuff himself. Um, he was in the gym a lot, doing all this body pump and whatever. The, he has a whole life before Christ. Okay. So BC, Ryan Foley is not the same guy. Mm-hmm. Now with the zeal, he's like, all right, I just want righteousness, which you know, it's attribute that's amazing. Um, but you can't forget the truth and love, truth and love, truth and love. And mm-hmm. so some people are all truth, no love. Some people no love, but they want to preach truth. And so um, it y- you need to have the perfect balance. The only way you can find that perfect balance is in Christ. Um, I bless Ryan Foley. I mean, some people are saying some ridiculous things, like right off the cuff, just ridiculous things. But um, I don't think it's that far-fetched what he's getting into. I'm just saying that discipleship's needed. I mean, we were both at a meeting um, last month where we heard two people, they were sharing their testimonies about, you know, the their transition from being in the Lafodequa community and having been delivered from that, right? And then they were giving their testimony and then they went into a little bit of preaching and then somehow we got into intercession and then somebody was singing on the stage. It was like this whole circus. To me, it felt like a circus. And I was like, you know, their stories are so powerful, but they need discipleship. They need to be mentored and matured into delivering their message so that it can effectively impact the people that they need to impact. And it's the same thing with Ryan Foley. Like Mm -hmm. he just needs, who is his mentor? Right now he's mentoring people because people are so hungry and they're just like, dude, we see your life and we see that it's changed and I want my life to be changed. He did a video where everybody was pissed at him because he's like, yo, if you watch porn, you're stupid. And then like, the, the stitches went crazy. because they're. That's not entirely wrong. The statement is, is true. I agree. Yeah, I agree. They were just mad at his delivery. But this is just, you know, like that's just how he's coming out. And so. You know, instead of wanting to cancel the guy, instead of making these stitches or, you know, even Josh Benson himself gotten gotten. And I'm like, it's, you know, it gets bad on Christian TikTok when Josh Benson gets involved and starts trying to teach somebody. That's when, you know, it gets bad. And um, instead of just trying to get him to put down the phone and maybe stop doing what he's doing, maybe pray in mentors, maybe like send older men, older women, his way to just be like, Hey, come and sit under me for a little bit. And we're going to refine your delivery. I think it's just the delivery and we'll refine your delivery. And, you know, cause you obviously his end goal is the harvest. He wants as many people as possible to be saved. It's why he does it. He's not going places so that he could, uh, so he can make people feel bad. He just ultimately wants people to feel the gospel. I mean, the one to, to hear the gospel, One of the reasons why he came out to one of the churches in Dallas was because he truly thought like they were that they were doing witchcraft. Like he's like, you're you're hypnotizing people. Why else would they be dancing this way? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, his his motives are are not wrong. Um, And I have to say that it seems like he's growing. So I'm actually kind of hopeful to see where he goes from here. I agree. Yeah. We're just praying in his mentor, praying in somebody in his life that he can trust that will help him, you know, land that one, two punch of truth and compassion, truth and love. 
And so, which Paul, I think Paul at some point was even developing and maturing and not where he may have come out. Obviously, we know he was persecuting Christians. And then, of course, he had his transformation. But then even in the beginning, I think he was maturing in love. And as he did here, now here he was, he has Timothy, he has all these spiritual sons and daughters. It's amazing. So anyway, Ryan Foley, we bless you. Yes, But if you ever, ever do a video about me, so help you. (laughs) So help you. You're going to see my flags over your head. And you'll see nothing else. So help you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our last did you hear, Jamie? Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of villains, um, did you hear that? Like, I didn't know this about John MacArthur. Okay, I know he believes a lot of crazy things. All right, and I know the South loves MacArthur. We already know this. <sighs> more John MacArthur study Bibles here than I care to admit. I didn't even know that there there was such a thing. When you hear a guy has a John MacArthur study Bible, if you're on a dating app, run. that's when you run. Run. That's your red flag. It's over. Unmatch. Unmatch. Block. Delete. Delete. And maybe get off the app um, because there's more of them coming. Um, <laughs> John MacArthur. Okay. So he has a lot of crazy beliefs. One of his most famous beliefs is the uh, women. He doesn't believe women are meant to be in ministry. He doesn't think that a, a, a woman's place is not in ministry. And so I was like, okay, this guy's a clown. It's a bit of a flop. But I thought it couldn't get any worse than that until I came across a video and I did not know that he doesn't believe that God performs miracles today. Oh, I knew. I knew. This man, this man. does not believe God does anything anymore. This man has an absent father God. We're going to play a video, give you context. You don't don't see a real, visible, demonstrable, verifiable, authenticated miracle. How many people have gone after that? I mean, in the book we talk about that. People have gone after that. They've gone to Benny Hinn and take, you give me your best five miracles and we'll survey every one of them. And they come up with nothing, nothing. They don't happen. And this is the, this is the guy at the top of the food chain doing miracles. People went after Catherine Kuhlman's miracles, supposed miracles. They couldn't verify any of them. I read an entire book trying to validate her miracles. There was no validation possible. So, and, and this would be your experience, right? Uh, You've never seen a dead person made alive. You've, you've, you've never seen um, a person without a limb get a limb. You've never seen somebody in a wheelchair with muscular dystrophy or some kind of severe disability, and we have hundreds of those precious people around here, get out of a wheelchair. And the question I always ask is, why aren't they at Grace Church and not church on the way? What are they doing here? Because if those people can do miracles, that's where they ought to be. But uh, the answer to that is they've been there, and now they're here. All right, and yet I know you, and I know that you pray for people to be healed. 
Sure, I pray that because I'm told to pray that I'm, I'm in Scripture, to, to pray for those that are sick, to what pray. Is your, what is your expectation? Okay, let me give you a parallel. Okay. I pray for people to be saved because I'm commanded to pray for people to be saved, right? Paul says that to Timothy. Right. Uh, we're commanded to pray for the salvation of people. Um, I pray that, but because I know God has told me to pray that, and God supernaturally can save people. Okay. Before you pop off, I need to pop off. One, that's been your experience, right? Since when are we called to look at our experiences over Scripture? Since when are we called to look at our experiences and make a theology out of them? That requires no faith. You are not responsible to have faith if you just have faith based on your experiences. Ugh. Okay. Second, has he ever left America? If you leave America, you will see way more miracles. I don't know why, but the Lord, maybe it's where sin abounds, grace abounds much, much more. And the atmosphere in America, I have to tell you, is far more glorious than other countries just because we do have a lot of covenants with the Lord in this land. And that makes a difference in the atmosphere. And also what we allow into our government this is a whole other story. But if you go to other countries, I know so many people who've gone to other countries and they've seen miracles for the first time in front of their eyes. Blind people being healed, resurrections from the dead, um, tumor shrinking in front of them. Just leave the country. This man has never left the <laughs> The other thing I have to say before I let you pop off is how dare he come for Catherine Coleman? I knew that was coming. I knew. <laughs> The way he came for Catherine Coleman. I do believe in miracles. How dare you? I believe in miracles because I believe in God. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done for a second. You I knew that was going to get you, the Catherine Coleman comment. I'm okay. Ooh. Yeah, Personally I, but I'm okay. I knew, I knew. I was like, oh, oh, I don't know. Jamie should hear this because I don't think people know your love for her and how often you do Catherine Coleman renditions when you're trying on dresses. People don't know this about you. Now they know. Y'all don't know this about me, but when I go shopping <laughs> and I go clothes shopping, I cannot just buy clothes for myself. That's boring. I want to become a character and I will look around that store and I will find a dress or a, a blazer, something that is a character that I can do and perform for everyone in the dressing room, even if it's just myself. And <laughs> one of my main characters that I do renditions of is Catherine Coleman. And if I find a mock necked seventies dress mm. and it's going to fit on my body, even if it doesn't fit, I'm putting that dress on and I'm doing an episode of her show. For everybody who's in the in the dressing room. You know, people would probably have a better idea of Catherine Coleman if, well, one, all her videos are still up on YouTube, which praise God. But um, if they had a better depiction of her in Jesus Revolution, people would be like more curious about Catherine Coleman. I am mad that they didn't call me since I do a better impression of her than that woman. I know I don't look like her and that woman probably looked closer to her than I do. 
but she, she was not acting. She was not giving Coleman. I can give Coleman. I can give Coleman. <laughs> I've seen that episode of Catherine Coleman's show where she's with the Jesus people. I've seen that episode. I would right. memorize it. I would perform it perfectly. So, Angel Studios, this is your call out. You got to give me a call. We have an email address. <laughs> Happy at holyco at gmail.com. <laughs> and for your next go. casting that you need to do, just reach out. Go on our site, buy some merch while you're there to apologize to me. And maybe I'll take it under consideration. Oh, yeah. Shoot me an email and let me know what part I'm going to play. The correct answer to that is you're playing Catherine Coleman in the Jesus Revolution 2. Yes. The aftermath. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much math after the fact that we need to address. We need to address. Make me want Holy popcorn. Spirit. Shaka. Well, happyandholyco.com. Um, of course, our website, as Jamie said in the beginning of the episode, we have to do a midway plug because you know, I know you people be fast forwarding. I see the analytics. Um, happyandholyco.com. <laughs> and of course, our email, happyandholyco at gmail.com. It's where all your questions, comments, and concerns can come to, as well as your complaints, where we have a special icon which is the trash can. If you have any complaints about the show, please email us here. Um, John MacArthur. Yeah. My letter to John MacArthur. Um, I, I don't know. Dear to me, John. Dear John. <gasps> not the Taylor reference. Did you know that that song is actually about John MacArthur? The song is actually about there. You're hearing it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Here you thought it was about John Mayer. It's not. It's not. Taylor Here, said that it wasn't about John Mayer. She said it wasn't about John, and she said it was about some other ex that she changed his name. But here is the truth. The truth is here. And the truth shall set you free. The truth is, dear John, is written about John MacArthur. Is written about John MacArthur. Um, so I just want to remind Mr. MacArthur of a Bible verse that I'm sure he's very acquainted with. I would hope. I think he's very acquainted with the entire Bible, considering that he has a study Bible out there. Um, Second Corinthians 5, 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. You're complaining about all these things that you have not seen. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. Um, and John MacArthur cannot confess or comprehend how it is that you have not seen these miracles. Um, we walk by faith and not by feelings, not by flesh. This is why I say put your carnality aside, Mr. MacArthur, to which I think we were discussing before the show. We don't know if he's like a Calvinist, a cessationist. I don't know. Either way, he's a flop. And I would like to tell you, need us to heed you the warning of delving into doo-doo gospel. That's what legalism is. Legalism is the doo-doo gospel. And he's a legalist for sure. Now, if you're wondering what the alternative to, not even the alternative, but the opposite of legalism is progressivism. As I like to call the Mimi gospel. 
progressive Christianity is the me, 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 me. Jesus came and did this for me. Therefore, I can do these things for me because I feel like this is good for me and me, myself, and I. Legalism is a do, 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 do. You can only be this if you do this and do this and do this. But before you do that, you have to do this to do this so that you can undo what you did that other day. That's legalism. We don't live in this realm. (laughs) The perfect balance between legalism and progressivism is the finished work of the cross, which is why it's a bridge, the finished work of the cross. It's not just that it brings you back to the Father, but it well balances you out. The whole triune you, spirit, soul, and body. And so if I'm hungry for miracles, I'm going to hang around where the miracles are happening. If John has not been seeing miracles, he's talking about this church here. He's like, it's not happening here. There's people who... Okay, well, if the miracles aren't happening there, you need to go where the miracles are happening mm-hmm. so that you can see miracles, as you pointed out with telling him to go overseas. Where in Africa are they going to be residing on, on their feelings or on facts? No, they're looking for miracles because guess what? Africa does not have our health care. Mm-hmm. So if you if you watch the rest of this, which God help you if you do, sometimes people need context and bless you if you feel like you do. I mean, context when it comes to the Bible is always important, but when you need to bless you. Um, when it comes to the entirety of this video, he talks about how um like these miracles are not happening and blah blah blah. In Africa which it's either which doctor or Jesus. (laughs) There is no, there's no that, Oh, we're going to go to the hospital because his whole thing is that the reason he doesn't believe, do you know, Jamie, that he says the reason he doesn't believe in miracles is because he doesn't believe that God supernaturally heals, that he heals by natural means. So that's when he says like, I've never seen somebody resurrected. I've never seen a limb grow. I've never seen anybody come out of a wheelchair. His means, that's why they make a joke. If you watch the rest of the video, the guy who interviews him makes a joke and says, well, you prayed for me. My back did get healed, but it's because I also went to the doctor and I got medication and da 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 da. So he's saying that God does not heal supernaturally. I lied because I said I was done popping off. Can I pop off one more time? Please do. Okay. So first of all, um, when it comes to the statement that he said, I looked through Catherine Coleman's book and books and I tried to verify these miracles. Okay. How do we determine what happened in history? How does it, how do we determine the legitimacy of scripture? Yes. How do we determine that George Washington was a president? Right. It is by eyewitness accounts that agree. So eyewitness accounts that agree are how we ended up with our historical books. It's how we ended up with archaeologists understanding what they've been digging up. The way that history is recorded and understood is by eyewitness accounts. I'm not sure what he means by I looked into all these miracles and tried to prove them. Um, If you are reading a book that is an eyewitness account, eyewitness accounts is how we determine history. Correct. All right. First of all. Second of all, what you said about um, witch doctors in Africa, I'm going to bring up a book that if 
you don't believe in miracles, or even if you do believe in miracles, everybody should read this book. It's called Like a Wind, it's called Like a Mighty Wind by Mel Tari. And it is about the Indonesian revival that happened oh. in a small island in Indonesia in the 60s. Um, I believe it's called Bell Timor. But uh one thing that was really interesting that the author said was that the church there, even the church in Indonesia, this was before they experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When someone got sick, like you said, they don't have healthcare. They have witch doctors. When someone got sick in the church, they would go to a witch doctor Mm. because the witch doctor would get instant results. Instantly, someone would get healed. They would get help from their ailment by going to a witch doctor. And it didn't occur to them until they started really reading scripture and getting filled with the spirit. And then they got filled with the spirit. Beautiful story about how the spirit swept into the church in Indonesia, but their, uh, their experience with the spirit made them realize we need to take scripture seriously. We need to believe it. (laughs) Come on. And so they realized that we should, should be expecting miracles from God in the same way that witch doctors got instant results. They should be expecting instant results from prayer. And when they changed their minds about what their expectation should be in prayer, then they started to experience miracles. Correct. So I would just like to challenge John MacArthur to one, go to a different country Go to a different country where where miracles are happening and just stay there and, and like never come back to America. Yeah, just hang out there for a couple months, years. Just a couple years. lifetimes. Um, the only way, sorry, I'm marking up my Bible because now I'm, this is, I'm marking up my, a newer Bible with my other verses. But um, I will say the thing about the witch doctors whether it comes to other countries is the um, it's just fathoming the idea that this man, right? This world renowned preacher is sitting here and going, where is the supernatural where I don't see miracles happening today. God heals like as he did in the Bible. Okay. He clearly distincts that. Yes, he did heal then and then of course now he says of course i'm not saying that god can't god will do whatever he wants to do but he questions the activity of the supernatural how is it that the world has access to the supernatural now i'm not saying the world has access to god but the world will have access to the supernatural to where they were then they will venture into the supernatural to get results faster than the church will okay that's why i said in africa they have either witch doctors or they have faith because either way they know they're going to get a result obviously we want things to purely come from god as far as the supernatural goes when you start to delve into dark magic it's like it it's like an eye for an eye you don't just get your little results and then you know whatever demon's going to leave you alone it's like okay now i did this for you and now you're going to pay me back we already know that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. We already know that healing was paid for every paid for by every single lash on his back. Our healing is in his wounds. 
Jesus is not a God that goes, okay, now that I healed you, you're going to pay me back. What are you going to do for me? That's not how God works. As far as the supernatural goes, we have evidence of um, the supernatural having power. Um, what is it? The witch of uh, the witch of Endor in First Samuel. The the witch of Endor in First Samuel, where Saul went to the supernatural. He went to a medium, and he was like, "Yo, I need to get in touch with Samuel." Mm-hmm. And yo, let me talk to this witch. Okay. So you can't tell me, Mr. Like, oh, yeah, well, that was in the Bible we're living in today when we know that Jesus is the same today, yesterday and forever more. So my final thing about that, because we honestly can do a whole episode about this, but we won't. We won't. We won't. We're going to back off. We're going to back off for now, because if we need a whole episode on Mr. MacArthur, we will do one. Um, but my final thing will be this. The reason I chose that segment, Jamie, mm-hmm. was because he mentioned, and don't think that we're going to let him get away with talking about Benny Hinn also. You don't talk about Uncle Benny. We, you do not talk about Uncle Benny. You we do not disrespect Uncle Benny in this household. No, we, we will not. We will not ever. And, um, but we will come for you on another episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about the clip that I chose. He talked about how, like, I don't see it. I don't see the legs growing. Out. I don't see people being resurrected. I don't see this happening. Well, why isn't it happening here? He just kept like, oh, and he's like asking the crowd, like, you have experienced that, right? You, you don't see it happening here. And he's like, and our sick from here have gone to those churches and have not experienced these miracles he's saying. They're not experiencing those miracles there when they go there because he's like, because it's not happening. But he's like, we don't see it here. So then he goes, the people who leave here to go there end up coming back. Right. That's his whole proclamation. I wonder if it's like one of those things where um, healing people in healing ministry will say it's easier to get non-Christians healed than Christians. Because Christians will make it about like what they need to do and uh, like the the right prayers and the right lifestyle and whatever. Whereas non-Christians don't know to do that. And so because they don't know to do it, they don't. And they experience the supernatural. It's because God can do a lot more with ignorance than he can with pride. And what's prohibiting his congregation, what's prohibiting maybe John from seeing with his own eyes these miracles that he's saying that are impossible of happening. The reason you don't see it, Mr. MacArthur, is because you have this dirty little demon called unbelief. And until then, you won't see it. If we go to Mark uh, Mark 6, 6, what did Jesus say? It even said that like he was amazed he was astonished he was taken aback at their unbelief so he's like oh I, I gotta get out of here i can't i'm not even gonna do any miracles here it's not that he couldn't it's that he could he would not do any miracles there because they're a bunch of stiff-necked people they're arrogant they're prideful they're like isn't the jesus of nazareth we know his sisters we don't we, 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 we it's not gonna heal anybody he's like all right i'm not gonna heal anybody so look at Mr. MacArthur now is just kind of like, oh, well, 
you know, we don't see that happening here. Well, you can tell me that you've never seen anybody be resurrected, but I know of people who've been resurrected, people who've been dead, people who have OD'd being resurrected. You can say you've never seen limbs grow out. I've witnessed a limb growing out and it wasn't this like screwy, like, oh yeah, your legs getting longer. Like legitimately, legitimately someone's hip straightening out because the, the limb of their leg growing longer. People are not getting out of wheelchairs. Happened at Supernatural Life last year when we went to a conference, either last year and two years ago when the Mac came to our conference. Jesus is obligated to ride upon our faith. He does not owe us anything according to our unbelief. So when Ooh. you're saying, and everybody is going to comment, out because, I mean, people are, like, applauding, you know, the whole thing he's saying in there. Why would he owe you anything according to your unbelief? He doesn't. And so we were talking about Acts 7 earlier with Stephen. And Stephen's given them, given the whole religious leaders, like he's given them the whole rundown of the gospel. And then as he's going, he's just like, and you people, you who crucified Christ, you stiff necked people. He says, you not only need your heart circumcised, but your ears. And that's the generation that we're living in today. And so for people who want to go into this whole, like MacArthur said this, and yeah, maybe, he, you know, miracles don't happen today. If that's what you want to believe, guess what? That's the faith you're going to live in. You're going to live in the faith that miracles don't happen. And so I, I had said to somebody the other day, I was like, I would hate to be you. Like, if for you not to believe that miracles don't happen, what happens when your wife gets sick? What happens when your kids get sick? What who, I, I want to be with somebody who has the faith to pray that I'm going to get well. If we have kids that are sick, I want to be with some, and thank God that I am, but like, I want to be with somebody who has the faith to believe that God still heals today because that's the hope of the gospel. That's what he came. That's the good news. So to believe that it's actually for John and I'm just thinking this now. So I didn't say this to you before, Jamie, but I think um, and maybe this is the crux of the whole American gospel documentary. I think for people like John MacArthur, it's actually easier to unbelieve than it is to have hope that he would heal. And so you just want to go with like, he doesn't heal. God doesn't heal today. That's not how he moves. If he heals, it's through medicine. Guess what? Doesn't take a rocket science, a theologian, or 10 years of cemetery, seminary for you to know that God can heal through medicine. That's why he gave us medicine. However, if God, and as he opened up this whole thing with like, God can do whatever he wants to, and he will, but he's not obligated to move upon your unbelief. And so um, if you want to go that route and think that this is how God moves, and then you're seeing, you think that the fruit of you not seeing miracles justifies your unbelief, you're in this vicious circle to where you're not going to see the move of God that you think you want to see. You're not correlating with the living scriptures. This is what John's forgetting, that the word is alive <laughs> and it's alive and it breathes and it talks and it still functions today because he had he himself even said that he wants to live a bib biblically accurate life. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we'll uh, if anybody comments and, and asks for the whole clip, then we'll send the whole clip. I don't want to put anything of his on our platform because I don't care to give him any space, any real estate, any screen time. However, we're not just going off on like a, a minute. This was this clip was like almost two minutes. We're not going off on only two minutes. We we watched this thing and it's 
enough. We did. It was torture. We it watched the whole clip and it was painful. And I think you should trust us and just say, you know, I'm going to listen to what they're saying about it so that I don't have to go through the torment of watching the whole clip. We did that for you. We did it for we you. we care about you. We took it. Mm-hmm. And it you hurt. Went a lot of pain for this episode. This episode was maybe the most painful to prep for. Um, and, and it's all in service to you. And it hurt. Yeah. Really I'm just going to remind you that it hurt. My ears, my my heart, my eyes. I I felt sad yeah. after watching this. And I, I like, you know what I mean? Like we, what? We juiced up for how long before we recorded? Because I just was so heavy from, I don't want to, I don't want that on me. I don't want to, it feels gross. It felt like bugs were crawling on me. Like your little unbelief germs were getting on me. I don't, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that for myself and I don't want that for anybody. Mm-hmm. And so I will transition to the next segment, but I just want to encourage you. I want to, I want to implore you. I want to invoke you. I want to, <laughs> I want you to walk by faith and not by sight. You want to see miracles walk by faith, by faith, through grace. The next. Okay. Woosa. Okay. This is why we don't delve too much into because it just gets us fired up. Mm-hmm. Listen, I, I live sola scriptura. By <laughs> <laughs> scripture alone. This is the life that I want to live. I just, yeah, I just can't. I don't, it, I'm almost like intolerant to trash talk about the cross not being enough and the cross is enough. It will never not be enough. Mm-hmm. It's not Jesus and Jesus, but it's Christ and him crucified. And if he's been crucified and he was been crucified since the foundations of the earth has been laid crucified for our beginning, our now and our after I just, this is by his wounds. Mm-hmm. We were healed. I, what Bible is this man reading? He's reading the John MacArthur study Bible and he's only looking at the study notes. That's, that's what it is that he wrote himself. So. himself. I would, the, the alternative I would suggest is Andrew Womack's living commentary. Oh, the Mac, the Mac. If you're wondering what should I be studying then the living commentary by the Mac, Andrew Womack. All right, let's, you know, I, I almost dread going to the next segment because we're going to listen to more, like, the, the, the disrespect. The disrespect is so potent this episode. It's so potent. But we're going to do it. We're going, and we're going to transition. Well, Jamie, I think you should take this one away. All right. Well, we have some weighty theology to dig into in this episode. We are going to be showing you a clip from a sermon series. It was four weeks long. Dear Lord, it was four weeks long. And I sifted through it because it was really necessary to dissect some of the things that were said. This clip is going to show you a theology that is prevalent in the church everywhere. It's especially prevalent in the American church and particularly prevalent in the Southeast. 
Uh, although it, it will expand to other places. We need to address the theology. And I want to make that clear before this clip plays, um, that this is not about the church, which we're not even going to name because this really could happen anywhere. And even a bit of this theology was addressed in our episode where we covered Morning Star's Good Friday service. Um, and the other thing this is not about is this is not about this pastor. This is not personal. It's, it's definitely just not business. About he is and not that important. This is about silencing bad theology. And um, it is not about any hate for a church or a person. This is about a theology that is rampant in the church that we need to address and we need to correct. So I want to make that clear. We're not haters, um, but we do hate this theology. <laughs> and so without further ado, Wendy, would you roll the clip? Walking in the light is not sinless perfection. I used to think that when I got saved, like my life is going to be straight and to the right, 75 and sunny. I was going to be happy, wealthy, blessed. And then I got out for about three hours. I want you to hear me. Walking in the light is not being perfect. Walking in the light is saying, Jesus, I need you. Because I want you to hear me loud and clear. The gospel is the most beautiful, profound thing the world has ever heard. That Jesus will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will restore you. And the Father will adopt you into his own family. But it never once promises that he will remove your sin nature on this side of eternity. Never once. We will be under construction for the rest of our life. Until we draw our last breath, we will battle with temptation and sin for the rest of our life. Walking in the light is not being perfect. Walking in the light is saying, Jesus, I need you. So, first of all, I, I do want to say that apparently, and I heard this because I, I don't know what this is like. I'm from the Northeast. I'm not from the Southeast. I don't know what this is about. But I have heard that there is a lot of overcorrection in the church because apparently before I visited this region, there was a lot of theology being espoused by the church that was saying, if you become a Christian, your life will be sunshine and rainbows. I'm not familiar with this. And maybe um, that's what's going on. Apparently, there's a lot of um, sermons that have worked to correct this belief. And I didn't know why. And apparently that's the case. They were told that we didn't get told this in the Northeast In the Northeast. Uh, the, the persecution is pretty like much the moment you become a Christian, you start getting persecuted by the people in the world around you. And, um, and also by Catholics. So we don't really have like a sunshine and rainbows gospel, um, that was preached to us. So I don't know what that's like. And I also don't know what it's like to overcorrect things. But what we do need to address is the problem here. And the problem here, and if you have seen this podcast before, you probably guess the one line that made me realize we had to cover the whole sermon series. And it was making a lot of work for me. But the one line that made me realize that I had to do it was where he outright said, Sometimes they don't say it, they allude to it, but he said it. He said that we are not promised that the Lord removes our sin nature this side of eternity. So we need to address a few things. I also have a problem. I don't like, I want you to go into the whole thing in its entirety, oh, please, but please. I, I probably have a lot of problems with everything that he said. Um, but this whole idea of being under construction for the rest of your life is a very damaging 
dangerous ideology to tell young believers, <laughs> to tell young believers, to tell struggling Christians, like the good news of the gospel is the grace that leads to hope that through faith you have been saved. And so that's the good news of the gospel. When Paul says that I preach to you the gospel, it's the good news of what Jesus has done. And this idea, very like we don't need to mix the ideologies that the world, um, some songs, this idea of like uh, I'm under construction or like stop. And so um, one thing I'm just going to say is that Paul said in second Corinthians, many things in second Corinthians, but it made me think of the whole worldview, like that he is bringing into and trying to mix in church language. And maybe he's doing it because he probably has a young audience, a young crowd. And so he's like, let me mix in worldly language and then try to spew a little gospel in there. Um, You're right on the money with that one. Of course. And I'm glad you brought this up because I think you're, you're right. That was definitely an issue that I had. Yeah. It's a damaging. How dare you say that to somebody who knows Jesus? Mm -hmm. How dare you say that? What is the point of being under construction when you're a new creation? Why would you say that to somebody? And so, um, for the for the Messiah's love, this is Second Corinthians uh, five thirteen. For the five fourteen, for the Messiah's love has hold of us because we are convinced that one man died on our behalf for all mankind, which implies that mankind is already dead, and that he died on behalf of all in order that those who live shall not live any longer for themselves, but for one who has died on your behalf and was raised. So from now on. We do not look at anyone from a worldly viewpoint. Even if we were once regarded, um, even if we once regarded the Messiah from a worldly viewpoint, we do so no longer. So the idea of, um, it says, I wasn't even intentionally looking for this verse, but the very next verse, which is, Verse 17 in chapter five, it says, therefore, if anyone is united with the Messiah, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Okay. The old construction site. The old has passed. Look what has come that is fresh and new. And it is all from God who through the Messiah has reconciled us to himself and has given us the work. He gave us the work of that reconciliation. Which is that God and the Messiah was reconciled, reconciling mankind to himself um, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors of the Messiah, in effect. Um, I'm going to let you just say, I'll have things to say after because you're going to just beautifully, beautifully lay this all out. And I'm excited. But get that out of your, uh, out of even your memory, the idea of being under, you're going to be a construction site for the rest of your life. Stop it. Stop it right now. I'm glad you brought up that the old has passed because that's something that, again, the misunderstanding here is that we were not given a new nature and that the old one was taken. And in that the old has passed, passed, where is it? It's gone. It's passed. So uh, the the struggle that he's obviously having here is that he believes that both natures reside inside of us. This was the same uh, kind of 
situation that was happening at Morningstar um, for their Good Friday service. But we need to look at the language. Is it explicitly said outright? Um, your old spirit was removed. Actually, yes. <laughs> I was gonna say it is. <laughs> um, there, there's a little bit of a clue. Um, how about it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How about that? Um, it's gone. Yeah, how about twenty life? Um, how about Romans six? How about Romans six? Why don't we pull up Romans six? Just for, yeah, just like I'm, I'm whipping it out already. Why, like why I'm here. Just, like, go over to Romans six, and if. Y'all love the ESV so much. Why don't I just use the ESV? Oh, you're going to read it in the ESV? Even the ESV will agree with me. Um, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Mm. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Mm. Which means something died. Mm. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And here we go. I'm, I'm going to just kept, we'll skip, skip to verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Mm. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once. And for all, all, baby. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um the Romans 6:10 in the complete Jewish Tell it me. has always been my favorite and it will always remind me when someone tries to bring any doo-doo gospel to me. Romans 6:10 says that his death was a unique event that need not be repeated. Mm-hmm. But his life keeps on living for God once and for all, right? That was what the ESV said mm-hmm. once and for all. This little Jewish Bible says a unique event that need not be repeated. Girl, I got books and Bibles. Girl, I got books and Bibles to talk about. That's so good. So, so we need to make it clear before I dive into my notes that that sin nature, there is evidence in scripture that it has died. So let's deal with the confusion here. While there was a lot of things that I heard in this sermon series that um, honestly, I could go on and on forever about what is wrong. I'm going to reference the most pertinent scriptures and the most pertinent um Okay, I need to rephrase. I am going to reference the parts of this sermon series that were the biggest problems, although there were many problems I saw throughout the series. So 
in the first week of this sermon series, this clip was said in that sermon and in the three that followed. This was the quote, but it never once promises that he will remove your sin nature, this side of eternity. Never once. We will be under construction for the rest of our life until we draw our last breath. We will battle with temptation and sin for the rest of our life, which really seems to speak more to his experience about um, battling. Now, the, the point that he had and made in this was that walking in the light is not being perfect, but saying, Jesus, I need you. It sounds nice. It sounds really humble, but uh, it is not really an accurate portrayal of what's going on here because we don't need to look down upon ourselves as how we are or our creation or our abilities to still need Jesus. Um, granted, <laughs> granted, we are only in the state we're in because of Jesus. It's It's just kind of giving a a really self-deprecating way of looking at your creation now. And that does not honor God because he did make you a new creation. Who's to credit? God is, obviously. It's not because of us that we are that new creation. But we need to receive what God created us as and appreciate it, be grateful for it. Okay. So... One of the um, other quotes I grabbed from here to address, sinless perfection is not possible on this side of eternity. It says in verse 8, and this is in First John because it's the first week, if we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Some people say that, if you sin after becoming a Christian, you aren't saved. Something is wrong with you or the gospel works for some, but not for you. I think this is a Southern culture thing where people believe this, that, oh, because first John says that you won't sin, that salvation didn't work for me. Um, again, this is not something I deal with in the Northeast. Mm. Um, I, I don't know what it's like to be surrounded by people this dumb, to be honest. Like if I were a pastor and people brought this type of question to me, the way I would just be like, please throw yourself in a garbage can because that was... Like, please buy a new brain. Like, but I'm sure he hears this. So I I want to say I understand why he's preaching the way he's preaching, but that still doesn't mean that that what this is being said as a result of what was said to him is true. Yes. This is a statement I want to address. Sinless perfection is not possible on this side of eternity. Um, he goes on to say, I believe Jesus can set you free from the life controlling issue and the lifestyle of sin. He can set you free without a doubt, but you will still make mistakes as a Christian and don't let those mistakes cause you to question your salvation. I love the intention here. He doesn't want you to question your salvation. I know a lot of people um, in this region tend to do that. Yeah. But here's the thing. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Um, he can absolutely set you from free from these things, but we need to define what is perfection here um, in, in this side of eternity. And perfection is not about doing everything without mistakes. Perfection is about being in grace in Jesus. And it's about um, abiding in him and, and following him. Perfection is 
about maturity. It's about Mm -hmm. being in process with God. It's not about a place of reaching a place where you will no longer need to grow. Because if we see it as, oh, it's a, a place where like this is the end and it's finished, then that doesn't even make sense on the other side of eternity either. Because right. even if we're in a glorified state, we're still not in that kind of perfect. Because, right. because perfection it, in the way that the American understanding is, is a fixed point. And life is, and an existence is a journey and a relationship. Mm. So I think we need to actually let go of the the word and definition of perfection within the English language and Western culture, because perfection as a fixed point is not possible if you're in existence. Right. So it's, it's, it's a little bit nitpicking, but, but week one, uh, to be honest, was a little bit all over the place. Um, we get into some more meat in week two <laughs> so and three. Um, and I'd love to know your thoughts on the next st- statement I'm about to, to reference. The struggle is the evidence. If you are struggling with sin, if you're struggling to overcome an addiction, if you're struggling in your life, that is the evidence that you are born again and a new creation because the old you jumped in head first. When you sin now, you can't enjoy it like you used to. And the struggle is evidence that your heart has been made new. I would just love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I think that if we try to allow things to very similar to John, the John MacArthur spiel. Um, If we continue to allow like our soul to lead us and us to be enslaved to our soul without allowing ourselves to be renewed by transforming and conforming our thoughts, that is your outcome. What he just said. We're spirit-led beings, though. Mm-hmm. And so, which is why that doesn't exist in you anymore. It's like Coco, like, the old you doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the old you doesn't exist anymore, so does all of its passions and its lusts and um, all those things that entice you. I'm thinking of Ephesians 4. I'm thinking of Ephesians Let's go here. Okay. It says in Ephesians 4.22. Okay, so. Then you learned that since what is in Yeshua is truth. I'm reading from the complete Jewish again. Then so far as your former way of life is concerned. You must strip off your old nature because your old nature is thoroughly rotted by his deceptive desires. And you must let your spirit and mind keep being renewed. Clothe yourselves with the new nature. Here it is. As Jamie was talking about. Clothe yourselves with the new nature created to be godly which expresses itself in the righteousness and holiness that flows from, you'll never guess, truth. (laughs) 
Therefore, stripping off falsehood, let everyone speak truth with his neighbor because we are intimately related to each other as parts of a body. So, um, I, for me, what would not set me free from my thinking is behavioral modification, which is what he's delving into. Mm-hmm. That's behavior modification. No, no. The only thing that will set me free and that will set me on the path of righteousness and holiness is truth. And what is truth? It's the goodness of the gospel. It's knowing that when I died, okay, when you accepted Jesus, by faith, you accepted that through grace, when Jesus died, you died too. Therefore, this is what it means. They're all Romans 6, okay? You have been co-crucified. You were on that cross. Galatians 2.20. I have been co-crucified with Christ. That means two hands, one nail. Therefore, if you've been crucified with Christ, oh man, but I don't remember being crucified. Oh, but when did it happen? I don't remember being up there. When did I give him permission? All of that was by faith through grace. So now what did he kill on the cross? If, if Jesus died, but I was there with him, what, what died on the cross? The old Jew, all your passions, desires, lusts, your addictions, your entanglements, everything died on the cross. He killed the worst version of you. He killed on the cross, everything that was killing you. That's truth, right? When somebody tells me that who I can't even remember the things that I was like addicted to, but because I don't even know if I was like somebody who was like into addictions, but let's say emotionally, let's think of depression. And it like, I used to think in my past that I was always going to be enslaved to my depression. If somebody was to come and tell me, okay, that I was going to be under construction for the rest of my life while I was struggling with depression, what hope is there for my future? But if someone told me, you have been co-crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ that now lives in you. Oh, but sir, what if I was co-crucified, what died on the cross? Because I know Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, well, on the cross, he killed everything that was killing you. Mm. That leaves me hope. Wow. So I don't have to struggle. I don't have to struggle anymore with this depression. No, because he killed that in you. And not only did he have to kill it, but so that you don't mess around with it, he buried it. So when he was co-crucified and co-buried, you were buried in there too. Wow, I was in the tomb of Jesus. Yeah, that's what it says in Romans 6. Mm-hmm. Planted in the likeness of his union. You planted in there. You were co-buried. So now, just so that you don't mess around with it, because we know how we are, right? Some of us are a little dumber than others. You would get back on that cross and try to grab those entanglements. We need not to do that. And so because Jesus knows us better than our hearts, he took that in the grave. Now the addiction, now the depression, now the family trauma, now the witchcraft running in your bloodline, all of that's in the tomb. Mm -hmm. You cannot remove you because the old you doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And when you became a new creation, when you, when Jesus was risen, you were co-risen with him. When Jesus resurrected, it says that his resurrection was your resurrection also. 
So when you resurrected, well, what came to life? If I was resurrected, what version of me came? The best version of you. This is not even a 2.0. This is a brand new you. This isn't the second version of you. The second version of you are the people who come out of AA meetings. That is not the second version of you. You are a brand new creation. Which means if you're brand new, now by faith. This is everything that you have to accept by faith. This preacher man, whoever he is, is not, this is not by faith that he is preaching these things. He's preaching by unbelief because he's going to tell you that for the rest of your life, you're going to be a working progress. For the rest of your life, you're a loading screen. That's not good news. It's so not. you're not. It's not good news. So if you tell me now that I'm a new creation and the old me doesn't exist anymore. For some of us like me, I really do struggle with what my past was like. I have to dig deep to remember even my testimony of who I was before Christ. The BC, when he, I, I, I can't even recognize her. And so now that I'm a new creation, I'm the best version of me. I'm, I'm Jesus to the core, right? You're no longer a sinner to the core. You're now Jesus to the core. Wow. Well, if I'm Jesus to the core, does Jesus struggle with depression? No. Does Jesus have an addiction? No. Does Jesus have family trauma? No. Okay. So then by faith, I'm pressing into that, which now we get to step into um, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 5, where now we get to boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need. Because this is where we're now living from, this reality that I am not the old me because now I receive Christ. So that stripping off of the old nature, it's already stripped, it's buried. Who am I now is the question that we should be asking. It's not what I'm going to struggle with. It's who am I now? And I walk in that as you walk by faith and not by sight. Mm -hmm. All of these things can be made real to you through the spirit. We're talking about Romans 6 right now, but life in the spirit is all up in Romans 8. Mm -hmm. Everything you receive by the spirit. And that's why Paul even says at the end of Romans 8, if you guys can get through Romans 8 without falling over, the end of Romans 8, Paul's like, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Do you know how he got there? Not through his soul. I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of um, who, who you are in, <laughs> in the carnality of who you are in your flesh, again, I've talked about your carnality, your human nature um, is not necessarily evil because sanctification is a real thing. Sanctification is just every day you're conforming into the image of Christ. We do not need to embellish it with theological language. What mm-hmm. sanctification is, is when you're a baby, the doctor looks at you, your mom looks at you, your dad looks at you and goes, do you look like your mom or your dad? Well, I see your dad's nose, but I see your mom's lips. And it, But every day you're getting older and they start seeing who you look like. No. That's her mother's cheeks. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. She looks like her mother. That's you being conformed into the image. For us in the spirit as Christians, 
being conformed to the image of him is every day you're looking more and more like Jesus. That's sanctification because you've already been justified through justification. Well, I don't feel justified. Well, thank God you don't live by your feelings as you shouldn't. And so um, I I know you're going to go into the rest of his, his teaching, but it's the only way we can bypass our feelings and our past and how we know how we used to be only by truth you shall believe you shall believe in the truth and the truth sets you free it's not just the knowledge of truth that sets you free you believe in the truth and the truth sets you free last episode we talked about the difference between understanding and knowledge there's a lot of people who know god a lot of people who know god knowing god is not what delivers you mm-hmm. a lot of these people who are in their deconstruction boohoo stage. A lot of people who are considering themselves ex-evangelicals when really they're just ex-girlfriends. Those are all people who know God. Okay? But Jesus said you shall believe in the truth and the truth will set you free. And so it's a belief issue. You cannot be um, logicked into (laughs) your freedom. Your freedom does not come by logic. I'm sorry. I know you can try. I know it makes you feel good to feel smart, but you can't logic your way into this and behavior modification because one day behavior modification is going to end mm-hmm. and you, you, you have nothing less, nothing else to rely on after the behavior modification is done. Behavior modification, um, your Bible classes, all these things, they're all little ibuprofens. They're painkillers that are maybe suppressing the pain, but it's not addressing it. What needs to be addressed is that old nature that's trying to resurface. You need to, it needs to be crucified. Mm -hmm. Take it to the cross, bury it. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought up behavior modification because I think it segues really beautifully into, uh, I was going to do a reading from my favorite book, Jesus and the undoing of Adam. Oh, see, we cannot probably I didn't even know you were going to say that. We were, we were, uh, thus the Lord. We were n- not going to properly be able to dissect this sermon without defining what sin is. And so Ooh. I am going to do a reading um, from this book. But sin is far more profound than breaking the law either by failure to do what we should do or by doing what we should not do. The catechism, as well as a whole legal orientation of Western theology, confuses the root with the fruit. The problem introduced by the fall of Adam was not simply that humanity began breaking the rules. The problem was that humanity became diseased. The disease is the root problem. Breaking the law is the symptom. He goes on to say, sin is a disease, a spiritual cancer that destroys our humanity and our existence. God's answer is not to balance a ledger in heaven. God's answer to the problem of sin involves healing the disease, transforming or converting our fallen humanity into real relationship with him. If God's purpose to lift us up into union with himself, to give us a place in the circle of the Trinitarian life is going to be fulfilled. The disease has to be healed. The cancer has to be eradicated from our humanity. Mm. 
This is the dilemma that the love of the Father, Son, and the Spirit faced in the fall of Adam. There has to be a radical conversion of fallen human existence. And it has to happen in a way that God does not lose us in the process. Oh, that's good. Keep in mind that our sin nature that we were born into has nothing to do with our choice when we come into humanity. What happened is our original nature was stolen by the enemy of God, Satan. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do even with us. This is this is not personal to him. This is about attacking God. Mm-hmm. In attacking humanity and stealing God's creation and ruining the nature that humanity was supposed to have, he hurt God. God is faced with the dilemma that he either loses his creation that he created because he wanted a family. He wanted to create us just to love us. That's either lost or he has to find a way to bring us back to him. Our design was created to be in union with him. And when that connection was severed, God loses us and we lose right perspective of him. Right. The other thing we really need to discuss here is where is sin in the being? So when we look at man, We have three parts. We have our soul, our spirit, and our flesh. And this is where there's a lot of confusion. Because if you look at a lot of the scriptures about the sin nature, if you look at it in the NLT, the NLT will translate flesh as sin nature. If you look at the word sarks in a concordance, you will not find sin nature in the definition. Mm-hmm. What you will find is animalistic nature. The flesh will serve itself in fleshly needs, mm-hmm. meaning it will gravitate towards what is comfortable, likely to what is warm, what is going to feed it, make it like feel good as far as eating. And it will also respond to sexual touching. It mm-hmm. is, it's, it's a meat suit. People give it a lot of power. It's a meat suit. This word is talking about what your flesh will do just to please itself. That is not in and of itself sin. It is animalistic and it's something that those who are who belong to God have crucified the flesh with its sinful desires. Um, and that's in Galatians 5.24, <laughs> I think. So... The flesh is not where the nature is. The flesh is just a self-serving meat suit that is very easily overpowered by your spirit and even by your mind. There are plenty Mm -hmm. of people who overpower their fleshly desires in the natural who are not saved. People who lose weight and become bodybuilders and they do all of these things to their bodies. They control their bodies. Bodies can be controlled. Mm -hmm. This is not where the sin nature is. We go to the soul. I'm going to explain what the soul is because we cannot go 
into the spirit without differentiating between the soul and the spirit. And we know that the word says that it is powerful to divide between soul and spirit, which means they're two separate things. Mm -hmm. The soul in Greek is the suke. This is the mind, the will, the emotions. This is your feelings. This is your intellect. This is your manly wisdom. There's a lot of man-made wisdom in the church in this sermon and and a lot of sermons. Um, But is it necessarily truth? You will not find revelation in your soul. You will find information. You will process things that sound very intelligent, but you will not find revelation in the soul. The soul is also where you tend to get stuck up in old ways of living. This is where you're, you remember your old life and this is where you will struggle. Your struggle will be your memory of who you were and of the things you did. And it will sometimes take time to process what's in your soul. Mm-hmm. This is a separate conversation. We'll just leave that there for now. And then finally, you are spirit. This is pneuma. This is the breath of God. When you are in your Adamic spirit, this is your pre-saved spirit state. That spirit is dead because it was born dead. It was born dead because fallen humanity um, is what you're born into. And so your spirit is humanistic, um, but it is also now no longer drawn towards the things of God. It is drawn towards things that are not of God. It is driven away from God. It is severed from God. So your spirit is actually where the nature comes from. You can't have a nature in your flesh. It's a meat Mm -hmm. suit. You can't have a nature in your soul. Your soul is pretty much absorbing experiences and responding to them. This is that old nature versus nurture question. Well, the nurture is in your soul. Um, Nature is in a completely different part of your being. Maybe this is why psychologists can't quite understand. Is it nature? Is it nurture? Well, maybe you need to know about your spirit, soul, and body. Yes. Your spirit is where your nature is. This is where the um, design of who you are, this is your blueprint. And your blueprint disconnected from God is a pretty lousy blueprint. It is one that cannot be connected to him. So the Lord had to give us and promised us that he would put his spirit within us. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Your spirit is in union with the Lord when you are in Christ. When you are saved, you get your new spirit. You get a blueprint of God's original design for you. God gets his creation back. God gets his dreams for you and for humanity back in Mm. restoring your spirit. And I think that that's something that we need to talk about. God had dreams for us. God had a plan for humanity, and that plan was stolen from him by the enemy. This doesn't have to do with us. Again, it's not personal. It is the enemy wanted to steal from God. He disconnected humanity, and God had dreams for us and dreams for his creation that he still wants to see through. And so when he redeems humanity, he's also defending his glory. Again, not personal, because a lot of times people think that this is not a humble thing to say. It would only be not humble if I were to say, well, because of like just who I am. Well, who I am and what I am is entirely about how God made me. There is nothing in me, in you, in anyone that we can take credit for. 
The only thing we can really take credit for is our will and desiring God or not desiring him. And that's our choice. But our giftings and our design and our destiny, all of these things were a gift from God from beginning to the end. And God had those dreams for us and he wants to see them through. And so I actually want to skip down to something that um, was said in week three, because Mm -hmm. it's kind of relevant to this. Um, So he said about um, when he was a young preacher, when I was a young preacher, I believe that God saved um, him, saved me and redeem me because deep down underneath the sin and shame, there was something worth redeeming that God could see a potential in me that nobody else could see. And that's why he gave his son for me on the cross. God did see. Okay. Wait, sorry. That's my comment. So here's the thing. I think there is a partial truth here, but I think maybe he was concerned. This was rooted in pride. So he was concerned. I think when he was confronted probably with theology in seminary, that he believed that that, thing in him that was worth redeeming had to do with himself. Um, And it, and it doesn't, it really is all about God's dreams for his creation. Yeah. Um, And as I said, God did see something worth redeeming. He saw that his original plan for his creation and his dreams for his sons and daughters were worth Mm -hmm. redeeming. It's not that we were worthy of redeeming, but that he wanted to redeem what was his and defend his glory by redeeming his creation. And then to push that further, to use his creation, to dishonor the one who tried to take it from him. Mm. So he goes on to say about him believing that there was something worth redeeming. That's wrong because the scriptures say that while we were dead in our sin, come on, baby, trespasses, while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us on the cross. So we have an issue here of defining what sin is. While we were sinners is a state of being. While mm-hmm. we were in the state of a sinner, Christ died for us. This, again, has nothing to do with our actions. However, we are responsible for the choices that we make in sin. Um, but the state that we were in was not our fault. So that is something we were born into. And it's not the design that we were ever intended to have. While it is very, very important to repent for the sins that you have partaken in, even if you were not, never had committed any sins, even if you were Jewish from birth, like Paul, if you lived by the law perfectly, as he said that he did. And, and a lot of Christians will say, well, he murdered people. He, if you actually look at the old covenant murder of people who were going against the law, the law, was endorsed. It was something that people were rewarded for. And think about Phineas in the book of Exodus. He was rewarded for killing people who worshiped the golden calf. Yep. Paul was going along perfectly with the law. He was following it to AT, but he still needed Christ to redeem him because even though he, he fulfilled the law perfectly, he didn't actually technically sin he needed to be in a new state. Yeah. And while murder for sure is a sin, um, in the context of the law, you see it, it will be confusing if you actually understand the historical context that to the law, he did not sin. Mm-hmm. In that. Right. All right. Um, so I, I want to kind of keep moving here. Um, 
so he continues on to say, meaning that there was nothing lovable about you. He redeemed you anyway. While there was no redeemable quality in us, he loved us anyway. Again, this, this state that we were in was not the fault of anyone born into it. We all need redeemed. Absolutely. We should not feel guilt for the state that we were in before we were saved. We needed to be killed and resurrected so that that state, which was so bad to live in, it, in that state, it is impossible to please God. It is, you you cannot hear the Lord. You cannot follow the spirit. You cannot follow God in that state. And I think my issue here, um, because maybe somebody will hear this and say, well, that's not technically that bad or that wrong. You need to understand how much guilt and condemnation is being spoken in this message. And um, as someone who has been um, in the room when this teaching or teachings like it have happened, um, there is a, a line between understanding we need God and placing guilt and condemnation on people. Because there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we, as believers, should not continue to feel guilt for who we were or how much we needed God when we were not saved. Of course we did. That's why we're saved. Mm -hmm. Um. We also don't need to put ourselves down or put guilt or condemnation on ourselves to understand the greatness of the love of God. God's love is so great that it does not need a juxtaposition to the version of humanity that this man is preaching to make it look impressive. God's love is impressive on its own. I think there is an issue here when people cannot perceive the love of God um, that they need to or they feel the need to put themselves down be like, wow, God loves me, even though I'm trash, even though I sin, even though I make mistakes, that's not going to help you actually understand the depth of the love of God. It's not an effective method and it's not good news. All right. Um, so he, he goes on to, for the billionth time, um, in this, this is twice in this one sermon, but he has said the, the quote that was in the real, this is like the fourth or fifth time within three sermons that he has said this. Never once does the gospel promise to remove your sinful nature on this side of eternity. Each one of us will be under construction for the rest of our lives. But I don't want to even like repeat. Crazy. Um, but we, I want to talk about how he expands on the wrestle. Um, so he says about the wrestle with sin and temptation. Um, we will have a nature, a war waging inside of us between spirit and our flesh, our flesh dragging us down to fulfill the appetites and carnal passions of this life and our spirit that pulls us up to be more like Jesus. There will be a struggle within us until we die. Scripture says that when our bodies, which are corruptible, are lied down, will be resurrected in incorruption. In other words, we will be given a glorified body that does not have a sin nature. We're not bent towards temptation any longer. We will be like Jesus in that we will not have a sin nature. Again, we are talking about where is the sin nature? Is it in the flesh or is it in the spirit? We've already discussed it's in the spirit. It's not in the flesh. And I got to say it again. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Wendy, can you tell me where in the Bible it says that there will be a wrestle between natures inside of you for the rest of your life? It is not in any of my Bibles. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So we don't have a scripture to back that one up for you. <laughs> Not for him. 
So um, again, uh, the NLT does translate flesh as sin nature, but the concordance does de- the, the concordance defines it as animalistic ne- nature, meaning it's about doing what the flesh does, but it's not about being bent towards sin. There's a difference between what corrupted flesh will do, which is satisfy its needs, versus what a corrupted spirit will do, look for ways to sin, draw, be drawn to sin. Again, the flesh is pretty much just self-serving. It's just trying to get its needs met, but a corrupted spirit will look for the ways to sin. So, um, again, he, uh, he says something that, you know, and here we go. (laughs) So he, he told, uh, those listening that remember Genesis, how we're made in God's image and likeness. He says, we are still in his image, but not in his likeness. I think Hebrews has something to say about this, about the, the, the new man and, 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 um, and the old man. So he says, we are still in his image, but not in his likeness. Actually, if you could pull up that scripture while I go on to, to read this crap, that would be great. Um, hopefully we're thinking about the same, um, verse. I hope so. But whatever you pull up, I know will be glorious. So he says, the moment that you got saved, you were given a new heart and a new nature and new desires. And the process of sanctification was initiated in you. Sanctification is a fancy theological word for becoming more like Jesus than the man I was yesterday because his spirit is doing a sanctifying work in me. But when John says we will be like him, it means the process of sanctification will be complete and fulfilled. And in his presence, we will be holy and we will be pure as he is. Okay, so which Bible do I which Bible do I want? But the the scripture is pretty clear on on this that we are um, pure and holy, that we are set apart, that we are um, to be called to to go into His presence um, with exceeding joy. Um, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do which. I might even do the ESV because it's right here. I don't trust the NLT right now. Uh, (laughs) NLT be doing us dirty lately. And there are plenty of books that it does beautifully on. Does anybody remember what scripture I'm thinking of? (laughs) I am. My my brain is in many sons the glory. It was only fitting for God, the creator, preservative. Everything should bring the initiator of their deliverance to the goal through sufferings. Um therefore, since the children share a common physical nature as human beings, he became like them, shared the same human nature. This might be in Romans. I might be getting confused. Conform to the image of him is Romans eight twenty nine. I just don't remember what translation has that. Specific. of Romans. He goes on to say, the moment that you got saved, you were given a new heart and a new nature and new desires, and the process of sanctification was initiated in you. Sanctification is a fancy theological word for becoming more like Jesus and the man I was yesterday, because His Spirit is doing a sanctifying work in me. But when John says we will be like him, it means the process of sanctification will be complete and fulfilled in his presence. We will be holy and we will be pure as he is. All right. So um, first of all, we need to talk about sanctification. Uh, 
I'm going to bring up the classic sanctification verse. My Bible is already open to it. Romans 12, 2. Yeah, come Not on. Conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right. So transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was like, I need to know what's going on here. Because again, as we were saying, the sin nature is in your spirit. It's not in your flesh. It is not in your soul. It is just in your spirit. So you have to be sanctified, transformed by the renewing of your mind. So um, in this verse, the word mind is the Greek noose. And that word, if I can find it here. I'm going to just command F here. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Noose is the faculties of perceiving and understanding and those of feeling, judging, oh. determining the intellectual faculty, the higher powers of the soul, the faculty of perceiving divine things, capacity for spiritual truth. So, It's clear in this scripture that being transformed by the renewing of your mind is about your soul. Because in your concordance, it will say it's about the higher powers of the soul. So sanctification is a a real process, but where is it happening? It's happening in your soul. It's in your mind, your will, and your emotions. Nice. Um, And I'm actually going to bring up a little story um, that Kevin Zadai has said in one of his many teachings. Um, he actually said when he was in heaven, he saw that people in heaven got to keep the parts of their souls that were sanctified on earth, meaning they believed truth. They um, were understanding their identity and and the identity in Christ. Those parts of them that believed truth actually made it to heaven with them. And wow. the parts that did not believe truth did not, and they had to be um replaced by truthful parts, but you can actually have sanctification that is happening on earth that lasts into eternity. And he said, you would be surprised how few parts of most men make it to heaven. (laughs) Now this is a, a testimonial, um, nugget of information. So take it as you will. Um, those who know Kevin Zadai and have researched him, they know that he's legit and you can trust him. I think it's important to note we have the opportunity on earth to live in truth um, and to be partakers of the divine nature. And I wonder mm-hmm. how, you know, that scripture, which I'm going to pull up, how that scripture would go over juxtaposed to this sermon. Because if we are supposed to allegedly be having this wrestle between our natures, how does that compare, contrast with um, 2 Peter 1 through 3? 2 Peter, where, where was oh, I? Oh, 2 Peter. I'm, um, I was in first. Okay. Um, 2 Peter 1. Mm. Four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So 
apparently there's an escape plan. There's a, a route of escape from the sinful desires that are, where are they? In the world. When you're a believer, the sinful desires are in the world and you are a partaker of the divine nature. How are you a partaker of the divine nature if you're wrestling in an internal battle between what you want to do and what you don't want to do. You don't got time for that. We really do not. Okay. I'm going to move on to my final point because honestly, there was so much of just a reiteration of like this type of theology where I would just go back to telling you what sin is, where sin is and what perfection is. And I could go over that with literally that same defense would work on almost every statement that was made. We don't need to preach the whole sermon today. And we're going to talk about some Bible translations. Love it. So he read this in the ESV because apparently the ESV translates this correctly. Um, But we'll talk about that. What we're dealing with here, I want you to pay attention to the conjugation of the verbs. 2 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, Bible translations, the ESV is seen by many snobby people as the most accurate word-for-word translation. Um, Okay, here's the thing. You got to remember, this is translating this into English, um, it, it, it's as close as you can get to, to word for word for English, except for that. This yeah. translation, um, is a little bit biased because of who it was made to please, but also with the verb conjugations, there is a more accurate, if you're going to be arrogant, if you're going to be a scholar, if you're going to be someone who goes to cemetery, I mean, seminary, you're going to know that the most technically accurate translation is actually the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Why? Because the New American Standard Bible is one of its main goals is to conjugate verbs correctly. Right. And so this is that same verse in the NASB. Mm. And many translations, this conjugation of the verb is what is used. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Okay. We could go on and on and talk about abiding. Abiding is being led by his spirit. If you're being led by your soul and not being led by your spirit, that's a separate conversation. What we're talking about here is the conjugation of the word sin. No one who abides in him sins. Now, for those of you who know about the New English translation, I'm going to dive into this for a second because this translation on its website is very transparent about why translators chose the words they chose. Again, this verse in the New English translation, everyone who resides in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has neither seen him or known him. Okay. I'm breaking out the lexicon for this. Pull it up. I'm going to read to you um, a section of the notes from the New English Translation website about why this verb um, was conjugated in this way. The interpretive problem raised by the use of the present tense, hamartani, in this verse 
as well as it appears to teach a sinless state of perfection for the true Christian. And it appears to contradict the author's own statements in chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, where he acknowledged the Christians do indeed sin. Mm-mm. We got, we, 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 back it up. Um, so this appears to teach, and this is what the ESV is trying to fight, and this is what the sermon is trying to fight, is it appears to teach a sinless state of perfection for the true Christian. I'm so sorry to tell you that you've been called higher. I'm so sorry to tell you that if you are struggling with sin, that's actually not your portion and that's not a reality you should be living in. I'm so sorry to tell you that if your level of maturity has only reached, I don't want to sin and sometimes I still make mistakes, that there's actually better and more for you. And it's not based on your own efforts. Let me tell you that. I'm going to back up to chapter two, verse one through two, which is this this is referencing my little children. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay. So here's the thing. This, there's a difference between saying that you are sinless and that you cannot sin. Okay. We're, we're not saying the Christians are not capable of sinning. You can do whatever you want to do. Free will exists. Free will exists on earth. Um, and I'm not even sure how much of free will is is in heaven or or what that looks like. But what I do know is that your will on earth will always be free. If you want to sin, you can, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not. We're not saying that you you don't like you're not capable of doing it. But what I am saying is this verse does not undermine what God is what. This verse does not undermine what John is saying in no one who abides in him sins. Yes, you can sin if you want. Um, I don't but know. Why would you want? So hung up on this. Why would you want to? Why would you want to? So this um, commentary states that the habitual meaning is something that can't be ruled out. Because there are clear instances of habitual presence in the New Testament where other clarifying words are not present and the habitual sense is derived from the context alone. Mm. So that means that the habitual sense that apparently the ESV translates correctly, the habitual sense is actually interpreted by the translators. It's not actually there. It's not right. in the conjugation of the verb. It's not in the surrounding words. From the grammatical standpoint alone, I'm going to I'm going to say this because this is actually in the comment on this translation. This means from a grammatical standpoint alone, the habitual present only can't be ruled out. It's still true, however, that it would have been much clearer if the author had reinforced the habitual sense with clarifying words or phrases. Nice. If, if that's what he intended. (laughs) But it looks like that's not what John intended. So we need to clarify the sin nature has been done away with. You are still capable of sinning. 
But if you are being led by the Spirit, you will not sin. It is possible for you to not sin. Should you put pressure on yourself to say, oh, if I if I do sin, I'm losing my salvation as this um, preacher was was saying to not do? Of course, you should not put guilt and shame and condemnation on yourself for sinning if you stumble. But it's mm-hmm. not a, you absolutely will stumble. It's not an inevitability. And that's the issue here is saying that you, you are that, you will do that, it's inevitable versus saying it's actually possible for you to live in sinless perfection. But it's not about your perfection. It's it's never been about your perfection. Otherwise, Jesus would have never had to come and give you that new nature by dying and resurrecting. Facts. So, um, I know. Well, the good news is that you don't have to watch that sermon anymore. That was awful. You have been you have been freed from sermon studying. Whew. Do we have any um, concluding thoughts, scriptures, comments to talk about what was like the the crux of what was being communicated that was bad doctrine that needed good doctrine? Yeah, I mean, um, seems like it would really help him understand First John. One, in the context of the finished work of the cross, uh, conviction and condemnation, two totally different things, Um, which in living with the the spirit, it's very easy to walk a life of conviction, living by your convictions. Um, Life in the spirit is still the rod and the staff. Um, because the father disciplines those that he loves, mm-hmm. um, you know, to tell a child not to touch a hot stove is not because he wants to lord over your faith, because he wants to protect you. And so, still, the condemnation is not to condemn you of your sin nature, but is to convict you of your righteousness. Jesus said, "I came to do that." to convict you of your righteousness. The world itself, those who are in the world, that's why we don't no longer have this worldly view, the world itself is going to be condemned. But we're supposed to be convicted of our righteousness. And so our best practice when taking in sermons, you know, I get it, it's a summer, we're going to be visiting places, we're going to be like going to people's churches, you know, you might come across somebody's sermon because you like someone and then YouTube gives you a terrible, terrible suggestion as I experienced today to which I told YouTube, you don't know me at all if you, if you suggest this to me. But listen for the language of the finished work. Look through things through the lens of Christ. What has he already done? And when you um, hear language that tries to take you back, you need to separate, cut yourself off from it because you don't need any type of language that will take you back to your grave. You don't need any type of language that will make you study. Okay. This is not an autopsy. 
We're no longer studying our dead self. And so all the poking and prodding that this pastor is doing at our old nature, at our dead flesh, at the part of us that's already been circumcised off. So we no longer need to study this. Mm-hmm. That's the type of language that we need to, to listen for is the language of the new life, our new life in Christ, um, this new creation. Who am I now in Christ? We're not looking for who we are in the flesh. And that message, that sermon, he needs to know his audience because are those people who are living life in the flesh? Are you preaching to people who need to be saved? Or are Mm -hmm. you preaching to people who are already walking with the Lord? Then your language needs to change. If you're preaching the gospel like an evangelist, maybe you can fly by with that message. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. It really only applies to people who are unsaved and who have a dead spirit. And I think you're right. I I think this has been an issue that um, exists within the, especially this region, but the church as a whole, that there is a condescension to believers that keep them in a place of immaturity and of only being able to handle milk when it's given to them. And so when they get meat, they either don't like it or they don't recognize it I can't do anything with it. But something that is constantly being said is, oh, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. You're always battling this, battling that. And so you tell them that that's our reality and they believe it. And to um, tell them that it's it's possible to actually just live in holiness and desire holiness and it hasn't been told to them, it's, it's also not going to be their experience. And um, I think that we do a a great disservice to the blood of Jesus and to what actually being saved, being set free with a sense that's free is free indeed, what that actually looks like. Does it look like you have an inner battle? That doesn't sound like freedom. And it's, it's, it's not our portion. It's not what we're called to. And so if that's your experience, I'm so sorry, but you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind your intellect, your higher powers of your soul, and get into some truth. And when you get into that truth, you believe that truth, you'll see that those things that you were doing or struggling with, they are they are made powerless by the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Um, and one of my favorite quotes is... Um, It's by Blake Healy. He's um, a pastor in Atlanta. He says, sin at its root is disconnection from the Mm, father. That's so good. And what caused the fallen nature nature in the first place? What caused humanity to fall was disconnection from the father. It was not even the, the fruit of eating the fruit, but of believing the lie that God would withhold from Adam and Eve, that God would be lying to them. Um, They went from a state of assurance in God, being assured of his love and assured of his plan for them to being in a state of fear. The first time they maybe felt fear, is God lying to me? I was assured in his love. I was assured of his will for me and him taking care of me. And now I'm questioning. 
his will for me, his heart for me, is he really good? Is he telling me the truth? And when fear entered humanity, distrust towards the father, we experienced disconnection from him. As a whole, humanity has been disconnected from the father. So when you get saved, which is generally kind of later in life, um, or at least you experience many of your formative years in a fallen state, because you can't really make that decision until you are able to make a decision, um, you will have experiences that were disconnected from God because you were not connected to God in that state. And so your life, your old life, or places where you were not connecting to God, even as a Christian, those places where you experienced hurt, things that resulted in addiction or bad behavior, sin pattern, that's you not understanding the truth of how much God loves you and how connected he is to you there. The solution to sin is not to adjust behavior. Like you said earlier, the solution to sin is healing the disease and healing the disease only happens when we receive Jesus into every area of our being. We receive him in our spirit when we get saved, but we receive him into our soul by believing in his truth. The the absolute way of healing our sin is by killing it. Crucify it to the Mm -hmm. cross. It It meant that much to Jesus for him to come so that he could take on all of sin, so that sin itself, as Jesus himself was mutilated, I was spat on, uh, as his skin was ripped apart, he took on the embodiment of sin, and it was laid up on the cross. And so, although that was our Savior that was laid up on the cross, as he took in the embodiment of sin, everything that was done to Jesus then was done to sin. And he needed to make a public display, so that he made a spectacle. He made a spectacle of sin. Um, and put that on display so that you could see that on the cross and say, that's what he did to sin. The enemy of our soul is always going to be unbelief from the beginning of time to the end of time. The end of time, unbelief is what's going to prohibit you from entering in. From the beginning of time, the seed that was planted, the seed of doubt that was planted was unbelief. And he's been rearing his ugly head ever since. And so as we're talking about Hebrews, I think it's like 412 that tells you that the word of God is alive, um, sharper than any two edged sword. And the fact that the word, the living word can separate the soul and the spirit is enough to know that you have to get into the word um, that will sever you from unbelief. Belief lives in these pages. Belief is here. I mean, you read Romans 4 and you just read about the belief of Abraham. You read Romans 5 and you believe about your justification. Romans 6, your sanctification. Romans 7, what happened to your dead self. Romans 8, now how do you live life in your new self? Get into that. So that you can believe what the word says about you. Believe what God says about you. Not some honky-dory, preply-dressed 
preacher man with the cookie cutter haircut and cool graphics and maybe an effective social media team, who cares? It's that Titus 110 when it says these these type of teachings delude people's minds. It deludes your mind. Do you understand? Your mind that's already maybe facing some type of confusion. Somebody like this who comes in and tells you that you're always going to be under construction. That is a type of thought that deludes your mind. And um, it, 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 it even tells you in Titus 1 that it's misleading, which is why the whole reason Jamie had to cover it, because it's a misleading thought and it's also worthless. And Paul says that this type of chatter um, needs to be silenced. And so although he even talked about like harshly rebuking it, but although we're, we're doing this on a softer side, again, we started or Jamie started the whole um, context of this all is so that, you know, that is not the person. It's not the church. It's not the ministry. Um, it's not even the sermon, but it's the unbelief that's being spewed. And being broadcasted on the airways, social media, da, 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 da. now it's at a rapid pace. And now you come across this video and then you believe doo-doo, caca. You believe it. And then it pollutes your mind and your thinking. And so, you know, you made it through it. And I think this was like maybe a half hour. And um, you take like, you know, maybe I'll just take this section and you can just listen to that on repeat. So that you understand that what Christ did, he came and did it for you specifically once and for all. How is it that we can live a sinless lifestyle? I don't understand. Well, he put it to death so that it no longer rules over you, no longer has power over you. That's the whole reason why he had to come and make a joke of Satan so that he was, Jamie was talking about free will. Free will means that, yeah. This is still going to like rummage around the earth. But now my children have the power, have the tools, have the knowing to be equipped to know that sin will no longer rule over you. And so now that sin is no longer ruling over you, you can now walk this life. However many years you're here, however many more years you're here, a sinless lifestyle. How is that possible? Through Jesus. Who else have done? Who else has done it? Jesus. He set the standard. Oh, but Jesus was God. He came and laid aside his divinity. He came and laid aside his deity so he can walk this earth as a man. Took on our nature. Took on our human nature so that he can show us the life that is um, capable of living. He came and lived a sinless life. And then he came and though he was sinless, he destroyed the entity of sin. The slave master that sin is. And so um, that's a slight recap. And it's that's why it's the gospel. I already hear your thoughts. I'm telling you, thank you, Lord, for time that transcends between past and future. I already hear your thoughts right now. How is this possible? I already hear your thoughts. That's not Bible. Go and read it for yourself. Mm -hmm. We came and we filleted the word for you. 
It was laid out for you. Go and pick up your Bible and read it for yourself. I know you're going to get the the comments that are going to say, but I feel this way and I feel that way and, and I don't feel free. And here we are to tell you that that life is capable and it's possible and it's for you. It's for you. Jesus came and it's for you. And the thought is this. What you guys are talking about, this freedom that you're portraying, this freedom that you claim exists is too good to be true. Well, wouldn't you know that that is the definition of the gospel? It's too good to be true. Good news. And so um, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the word. Let's transition to maybe a short little get it together. Yeah, let's do very short, very short, very short, very short. Dude, so my good get it together is a little, you know, I was like not prepared to do a get it together. And then I thought about it. This one braid is driving me insane. It's like um, a really short get it together, right? And oh, sorry, for those who don't know, this may be your first episode and you're like, I just sat through a theological dissertation on being free from sin. And now you're doing a what? (laughs) This is our segment called Get It Together. Get It Together is our healthy rant session where Jamie and I call something out. Mm-hmm. And call it into alignment with the kingdom. It is a healthy rant. Need I remind you? I know what you're thinking. Was your whole episode not a rant? And to that I say, you have seen nothing yet. But um, Jamie, I don't know if you have one ready. I do, and I'm so sorry to do this again to everyone. But it's for a different reason this time. It's Taylor Swift. Um, mine was going to be about the Swifties. Really? No way. You cover Taylor and I'll cover the Swifties. Okay. Excellent. So where I am, um, currently, um, people are very, very into all of the album releases that are happening, all the Taylor versions of everything. And it's just inundating me. And I'm going to let, I'm going to let you have the Swifties, but everybody around me, I will say is celebrating it, is having parties about it. And, um, Here's this is why I'm actually upset. So for some reason, it came up on my Facebook page, um, Taylor explaining um, how Speak Now, which just was released, happened. And as I was reading it, I was like, damn, this girl is a good writer. And I was really upset. We all know this. Like, Taylor, here's the thing. Taylor, um, she she can write some great lyrics. Sometimes they all sound the same. Sometimes they're not that great, but sometimes she'll write a line and I'm like, damn, that was really well done. And I'm very upset about it. And as I read through her explaining how she um, was, you know, she just come out with fearless when she was writing speak. Now it was um, a critically acclaimed country album, but people were criticizing her for her voice, which I remember how bad she used to sound when she sang live and she's, vastly improved. And now I feel like I need to get a vocal coach after reading this. Um, but 
she she has improved her her live vocals a lot. But as I was reading the Speak Now um, description of how the album happened, I was like, I'm really mad because one, this is very well written. Two, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm being lied to. Um, and three, at the end of the day, I know that from the jump, from the jump, you were system, you were wicked. And um, you've benefited from it. Clearly, you're not being a problem for them. You're, if you're succeeding this much in the limelight, you're doing something that they like and you're doing it really well. So whatever it is that you're doing that is giving you this level of success is probably really sinister. And I don't love that. Um, one, you're looking clean as a whistle in the public eye and two, your your talents are being used to manipulate my emotions as I'm reading the description for how Speak Now happened to the point where I'm like, I really don't want to believe this. But after seeing the clips of your recent concert, you just can't deny it anymore. Mm-hmm. Everything that she's doing is so like end time ritual crap. It's like you can't be unaware of what you're participating in. And we know... Yeah that this is something that she's been involved with her whole life almost. So I'm really upset that uh, she is writing catchy music with great lyrics that I cannot deny the, whether it's her talent or someone else's talent, whatever was stolen from heaven to make these (laughs) country tunes and then writes an um, emotionally manipulative letter about it that makes me want to cry all that to know that she's actually truly evil. I hate it. I I want her to just either be good or at least be evil and untalented. Evil but, and untalented. There's plenty of that. But the problem is that some of this is, is actually really well done um, and unfortunately very sinister. And it's it makes me upset. Very sad. <sighs> Please, Taylor, do one one of two things for me. Either repent and come to the Lord or start writing really bad music. You can't keep writing stuff that's somewhat good and then also being evil. Please just choose right. one or the other. Get it together and pick one. Mm-hmm. Do you hear, was that Taylor that had like the the... That weird, like a her concert was like a ritual. Oh yeah, I saw all the clips. Girl, I don't want to know. I do actually kind of want to know how many men have curses on them because of the women that were there participating in that and thinking of their ex boyfriend as they released witchcraft upon them. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's so crazy. Um, and, and bringing it to all these major cities, sinister. Right. What is your problem? And you're doing it on purpose. Like, we, I'm so like, it's it's just so evil. Sinister. The way that you can. Just- I don't. I don't care who broke your heart. I don't care <laughs> if like men have made you men. Men are infuriating. Like men are doing some of the worst things you don't see me out here intentionally cursing people. Right. Yeah, I know. Um, 
you don't. The it's so funny that you were going to talk about Taylor today. See, we didn't discuss these things. We really did not. It's crazy. So my issues are from a you know same pool but the totally different section. Um, my issues with the Swifties. I want to call the Swifties to get it together and think you guys need to disband as a group because you're turning into a hate group and uh, you know what this country does with hate groups and you must be stopped. Mm-hmm. Recently, about two weeks ago, um, Taylor did her Dear John song, which she hasn't done in years. I have no idea about Taylor Swift things, okay? This is only coming on my coming across my radar because of John. Because of my undying love for John Mayer. And all things John. Um, so she does Dear John and like her fans lose it and they're like, ah, yeah, I don't ah, and it just reawakened their hatred for an innocent man who was 20 years her senior, I think, the time that they covered a song together. And so a little bit of backstory of Dear John, because a lot of uneducated people make this claim. Okay, because I had an argument uh, two two Valentine's Days ago. Two Valentine's Days ago. Yeah, two Valentine's Days ago. A bunch of my friends, we were doing like a Palentine's and we like we had to do a rapid fire. And one of the rapid fire rounds was name famous celebrity couples. And would you know that my team lost by one point? Do you know the winning team won by one point? One of the couples that they mentioned were Taylor Swift and John Mayer. And that was not a I, thing. that's not a thing. And we still lost. And I was like, wait a minute, I could just start throwing together random celebrity names and start saying that they were dating too. And they they were just like, no, because they actually did date. And I was just like, you're you're arguing with the wrong person. Okay. As much as I as I as just like my backhand, I know John Mayer. And I'm telling you that this man was not dating Taylor Swift. I know that there was romantic interests. I know that they did songs together. Um, hence half of my heart. And so years later, okay. So Taylor uh, is doing Dear John and she publicly asks her fandom, which are called the Swifties. She publicly asked her fandom to leave John alone. She's like, I'm 33 years old now. Whatever it was that happened, which she will never um, confirm or deny the rumors of them dating. So what's known in the popular eye is um, John Mayer and Taylor Swift dated. John emphatically denies it. We did not date this, that, and the other thing, blah, blah, blah. Taylor, by omission, will be like, just, you know, something happened and, you know, I'm sad that it happened, but it's over. So, which led her fandom to be like, now, granted, now you already touched on this, but her fandom hates anybody she was interested in. Mm-hmm. Remember, her fandom tried to dra- drag uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Um, so, it's a toxic fandom, and um, it, it needs to be put to death. And um, so, my finishing thought with the whole, she asked her fans to just be kind and to leave John alone because... Um, they were not deployed to do this for her, but like they jump on every John like 
posts, social media posts. He can't even get on TikTok. He's on TikTok and people are just like, leave Taylor alone. I think they use lyrics from Dear John and um, they make it seem like he took advantage, not of a, of a minor, but that implication of like, she was young, John, how could you? And so, um, which is really dangerous accusation if you really think about it. And so, um, so this showdown happened when Taylor had asked her fans to not do it. And then the John Mayer fandom was like, okay, cool. They actually were just like, here's the truce. We can have some peace now because the John Mayer fans, not me. I don't really care that much about it. I care about John. I don't care about the whole, um, the uh, John fandom was like, all right, well, let's have a peaceful moment with them because the John fans get in the John comments because the Taylor fans are jumping in and being like, leave her alone, John. She was only 18. Like, all this stuff. So now the John Mayer fans are trying to leave it alone. Well, it wasn't enough that Taylor said to be kind. They refused. They said that they'll like comment. They'll be like, yeah, well, he deserved it. This is your queen that has given you direct orders to leave this man alone. And is this a reflection of society right now that you just need to have somebody to hate? And um, the question goes, the um, question that we had or that I had talking about it in the John group, which is like a uh, closed private group. There's a Facebook group called John Mayer Knows Best. And I have a lot of fun in there. I usually get the deets about like if he's going to be at a pop-up show or whatever, like he just opened for Ed Sheeran because the person who was going to open for him like was sick. And the fact that John Mayer is opening for Ed Sheeran is really comic comical because it's John Mayer, but he, he will take any invitation to shred. And so he's like, cause he loves music. He loves music. He truly loves music. That's and I mean just the joy. That's why he's like stayed out of limelight. That's why he stays out of trouble now because he's like I just want to jam. So, um, her fans keep dragging whatever they're dragging him through the mud for what, and it's like no one's really paying attention to it. But think about the fandom that Taylor draws, and then think about their behavior, and obviously there's a correlation. And so, um, it's like really sickening. But one thing that I did bring up in the group was just that like because they were just like oh well you know, it's kind of sexist to um, the conversation was something along the lines like, well, it's kind of sexist that you're shaming her for um, still feeling like a little heartbroken about her like time with John. And I was like, actually, you know, what's kind of sexist. <laughs> what's kind of sexist is the, um, the number <laughs> of men she's been with. Now I'm not saying sexually or anything, right? I'm not saying all that, but I'm saying that the number of people that a number of men that she's been with and she's left a trail. Okay. Mm -hmm. Leaves a trail. And if it was a guy who dated as numerous and as um, quickly as she did, they would be, Oh, you're a womanizer. You're this, you're that, 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 but it's a little bit of what you're talking about with Taylor being like very girls next door. And um, she looks very like kind and her face is like, who would ever say anything negative to Taylor? Because look at her. And so um, 
somebody had mentioned, they're just like, yeah, but it's still not fair. And I went into this whole thing about like how it actually, it's a little bit sexist to give her a pass. And cause if anybody else, then it would be like, Oh dude, you know, um, I don't want to use the word. Um, well, let's call her a garden tool. Like outside of that, people would be calling her a garden tool because they're just like, well, you date a lot and you date them pretty quickly. And so like, was John just an- another notch in your belt? So um, that's where the discussion became. And it was like wild to just think. And and a lot of people had agreed with me on the take. They were just like, you know, it's actually a really good point. And I actually wouldn't have thought about it if someone else didn't say, like if someone didn't make it about sexism, <laughs> if someone didn't bring that up, I actually wouldn't have thought about it. But I was like, Actually, now that you mention it, the the sexist outlook is actually has been in Taylor's favor. Mm-hmm. It has. And it's it's very much been about like these men have broken her heart, not like what did she do to drive them away? And no one's talking about that. I think too, as a as a woman, like when you are attractive and successful. I kind of feel like, and I think this goes both ways, attractive and successful men as well. If you can't keep a relationship together and you're like serial dating, Mm -hmm. the problem is you every time. Because every time the people that I know who are successful and attractive and healthy, they don't serial date. Mm. They don't engage in a lot of dating relationships. They take their time and then they, they discern who to date and then they, date them and whether they have um, a short, healthy relationship with them or a long-term, it ends up working out either way. um, Healthy people don't have drama at the split. Mm -hmm. Granted, sometimes it takes like two healthy people to really make it no drama, but I think she's the common denominator in a lot of celebrity relationships yes that have broken up and i think that's the other thing we need to acknowledge that her career through her first at least four albums thrived on her having celebrity relationship drama right that's what caused a lot of traction that's what got listens that's what got sales so it has really worked out well for her and for her to <laughs> it as did. she's re-releasing albums that people have already heard they already know these songs they sounded more authentic when she did it the first time. She had just written them and was still in those feelings when she sang them versus now when you listen to her sing them, it's like, I feel like your soul isn't even there. Like you're, right. you're just not even in it. You're just singing it because you want people to give you the royalties and not someone else. Mm. How are you going to get that attention? Well, you can't really date serial date anymore because we're tired of you doing that, but you can bring up an old relationship from those times. And this is working out really well for her because people are all over these new Taylor versions of her album. Of her album. It's crazy to me. So yeah, I mean, this with these, you guys need to get it together. You're just such a toxic fandom. They are and, a hate um, group. You are so right. They, they are, and it's unnecessary. Uh, but I'm going to start saying this. They, they are a hate group. Like these what other, group. it's almost like you hate them more than you love Taylor mm-hmm. because like why would it be why is it more important to you to hate the people that she's telling you to move on from mm-hmm. 
Um, it's a little strange considering that <laughs> she's even asking to move on. So she started, yeah, she started to, um, she started to just do Dear John and that's how it all happened. But we'll see. I mean, people are trying to, they're kind of reaching and they're saying that John like tried to respond to the whole be kind thing by posting a picture of be kind and you know how social media is. But John is really unfazed by it. But other than that, other than that, um, he just doesn't, other than when he's, when he's asked about it, he's like, nothing ever happened. They may have been flirting. They may have been maybe some common interest. But if you remember at that time, I think we've talked about this before, that it was, it's like now influencers do it, right? Like people do it on TikTok. People do it on as YouTubers. It's kind of the thing to be seen if you're like a power a power person and then make a power couple. It's kind of um, it kind of helps your your career. And so at the time, I think Taylor needed it more than John, and that because Taylor was young, mm-hmm. right? And so Taylor needed it more than John. And I think they were at the Grammys together, and then they did Half of My Heart, and then now the man can't even do the song anymore because people people hate him for no reason. So Swifties get it together. Um, <laughs> can I tell you about a? Can I tell you about a little man? Tell me, oh, not a little man. No, no, no. I was, I was gonna say, can I, can I tell you guys about a man named Jesus who preached oh, on forgiveness? This is not a. This is not a get it together. This is the gospel. Got it. <laughs> you know, can I tell you about a man named Jesus who preached redemption repentance forgiveness and restoration reconciliation all the things i'll tell you about a man named jesus swifties but till then get it together and might i add get a new hobby a new hobby and taylor interest get some new fans Well, that's that's it for our episode this week. I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I am exhausted, but it was worth it. Oh yeah, you had like you might not you might even need to post your notes. I would love to post these notes. Yeah, you you might have to. I think that's actually a great idea. That will be on a website mm-hmm. when you go to. Happyandholly.com. Thanks for checking us out, guys. We love you. Uh, don't forget to comment, like, subscribe, share all the things, all the things, all the things. Until next time, don't forget to be happy and stay holy. <laughs> <laughs>